lot of chances for the second line here because that's I mean it's you can't have it's uh, with the with the top line getting the top attention of guys like Chara, Seidenberg, Dowdy, Muzzin, Goligoski, Klingberg. That's that's what part of the reason why this second line has such a good week. No, I, I think they also the second line also tends to tends to get to get to be out there with um, Ellison Eckholm who are the best defensemen in the team when it comes to just making things happen. I mean, it is partially quality competition as well, to a degree. But, I mean, you, you, those guys enable the forwards to, to do some crazy things. So I think that that helps, too, is that they get that deployment with those defensemen. So I was looking, I was looking at their numbers today, oh, and I yeah. got excited about Elson Ekholm <laughs> pairing. It's my favorite pairing. They're so good. So good. Speaking of, uh, one thing that did happen in the LA Kings game, Jackman ends up getting hurt. Yeah. That's so, not something that happens very often. No, because uh, he's made of a cheese byproduct from St. Louis, and he doesn't break. I was so proud of that joke. That was <laughs> man. Do you see how many? It was a very good joke. I was so proud I, of that. I, I beat that thing under the ground. You too. did. I, so I like good. walked away from Twitter for a while and came back, and I'm like, wow, Dan went to town. Yeah, I did one, and then I just saw you take the ball and run with it. It's like I'm just gonna let him do his thing. <laughs> I, <laughs> we got a couple of Provel defenders on it too. <laughs> how anyone can be a Provel defender? I really want to see it. Do you guys remember seeing uh, Will It Blend? show that has a really fun hockey team to talk about for the first time in months. Yeah, and as of right now, we haven't been traded to another podcast, so that's pretty good. Oh, I know there's a lot of reports out there, but we're, we're safe. People. The moment I get traded to, like, Cheaters Never Win, the Carolina Hurricanes podcast, I think it's just the day I hang I, up. I have a full no-trade clause, so I'm not really concerned. David Poyle must have signed you, didn't he? No, I, I signed all the contracts myself. Uh, mm. I figured because I'm the only one who's over 30, I would be the only one that Poyle signed with a no-trade clause. No, you d- you just get $4.5 million a year. <laughs> <laughs> For the next five years. That's all, well, that, well, that's all you get. Well, that's still young in David Poyle years. Usually you have to be above 35 to get that. No, that means you go to the Rangers. Uh, uh. <laughs> this is the Predcast brought to you by OnTheForeCheck.com and Lions Own Internet Marketing Solutions. He's Christopher Link. He's Jonathan Garcia. I'm Daniel Bradley. Yeah, I decided to go full government today. So at least you didn't use the vegan middle t- names. Yeah, you can ha- you can hand us tax returns. <laughs> no, it is that about that time. Um, I already have. I already, I already filed my taxes. Got my tax return. Everyone else is pretty lazy. I get that done. Well, I'm uh mm. I'm actually waiting to buy one of those neat scanners, and because I have just like a big shoebox full of receipts, that I'm just gonna run through the neat scanner. Yeah, SP Nation was pretty slow in getting me my 1099. That's so yeah, that was my. I issue finally as well. I finally got that, so that's gonna be my job for this week. <laughs> And the folks listening who we pretty much just revealed that we get paid, so we, that was I don't da- dangerous. I don't so. get a ten nine nine. I'm not shy about telling people that. The thing is that it's not like worth anything. It's not going to pay no. my credit card bills. It's not going to pay my rent. It's barely enough to pay my beer tab. It's enough to pay my electric bill most months. However, the winter in Nashville this year not not terribly easy to do. 
Yeah. Mine was 325 last month. <sighs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, I was hot about that. Well, how how's, how I have you a split s- level. Okay. I have a split level condo, so that and I had to work from home for a few days, so I'm keeping the air. I'm actually, yeah, I, yeah, it was pretty high. How? Split level con- have, split I, level condo and the fireplace was broken for the most from since I moved in they finally fixed it we just got a new uh, management company and they oh uh, well uh, well a, a, a bad flu in a fireplace can ruin your heating costs yeah absolutely ruin them yeah that was that was part of it and uh, I actually got into a uh, shouting match with the um, the director of the property and I'm not much of a shouter just not me so finally I just said at the point like you realize that I'm only asking for two hundred dollars off my rent after months of a broken flu. I'm now going to write internet reviews on every on apartments, on Google, everywhere. I'm going to cost you more than $200 probably, just in reputation alone. You still don't want to go through with this? No, sir, we can't. All right. Anything else? No. Hmm. There's a lot more yelling involved with that. Um, how was your weekend? Uh, you know, pretty quiet. I've just been watching the... Uh this is, this is, here's a long string of words that mean nothing to most people watching. The Here's the Storm North American Regionals all weekend. Um, they're still going on right now. I actually have a slate in my right, but I'm not watching. I'm making eye contact with the people I'm working with. Um, but yeah, I've basically been watching can, that. Can I at least see some of this? I, um, I actually, yeah, I can, actually do want to see. I don't know. I can, I can sort of go away from the microphone. Okay. All right. This this guy is wielding a giant purple. Is that a sword? Yeah. This is esports, by the way. Yeah. Um, I need a mirror on the other side of the well, room. I can't so I can... see it either. John. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to like, um, have, a, have a glimpse at it. Oh, okay. Now we got a different environment. Yeah. No. This is. It's just. It's one of the. One of the. It's the last kind of big tournament for the U.S. Um, or for North America uh, before they get to the, the you know big global level one. Um, so it's just, uh, this is, this is probably like a couple second tier teams going at it right now. They're fun to watch though. It yeah. kind of looks like gauntlet. It looked like, it looks like the aliens from halo are just like all having like a Thunderdome style tournament. I personally think it's cool. Yeah. I, I mean, I obviously love it. I play this game myself, but I, I do enjoy the esports quite a bit. I haven't done much with the esports, so this is a whole new universe for me that I fully do not understand. Yeah. Well, uh, as anyone who follows me on Twitter knows, I've been, I, I, I sent out a warning at the beginning of the weekend saying, you know, mute this hashtag if you don't want to get these because I will use it on every tweet. I do that for a lot of things. If I if I think people aren't going to be interested, I try to throw a, a hashtag out there since most people follow me for hockey stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then just do whatever I want to do. You guys like the setup where you guys can actually see what's going on and still like occasionally glance up I, at me. I, I mean, I don't care about this, so that's John has fine. no idea what's <laughs> yeah. happening. Right it's at now. least fun to. It, it, I mean, it's like look at like how your dog watches like the television. Well, or so, something. so like, he yeah. has no idea what's going on. As a as a fan of esports and you know ESPN getting into covering esports, the score uh, covers esports pretty well. Um, SB Nation has like a very small, like one or two guys who will do some some esports stuff from time to time. Um, People are always, one conversation I have a lot is how do you, like, well, how would I get into esports or how do you get people interested in esports? Because, you know, you, you, you can look at the most popular ones and some that are easy to get into. And, and I mean, I think about um, esports sort of like the way I would think about regular sports everyone's familiar with. I kind of think you want something that's challenging, that's got some complexity to it, some real, like, real depth of rules and, and things. Maybe because I'm a hockey fan first and foremost. <laughs> And so I look at, at, at this MOBA and that this, here's the Storm and League of Legends and Dota 2, a lot of things people probably have just heard of, and say, get into those. Because if you can understand what's going on in one of those games, then you can easily follow what's happening in Counter-Strike, which is pro- probably one of the biggest in, in the non-MOBAs uh, in the world as far as, as audience. 
Yeah, I worked at GameStop when I was 16. We had a guy come in and sell literally every single game console that he had up to that point. And we're like, you used to come in here like every day. What is going on? It's like, I'm playing Counter-Strike professionally now. I don't I don't need any of this stuff. Yeah, I mean, most of the guys who, who play pro with this at the level we're talking about, they tend to, they live in team houses. Um, yeah, because it's so them, much time. Most of them uh, draw salaries to some degree. Uh, and then, of course, they're mostly fighting for prize money because the salaries aren't a ton. I mean, most, some of these guys don't even make minimum wage, but you know they can they compete for national on the national global stage. Today, I learned. Yeah, oh, this is awesome. Well, the, like the I, winner of this tournament gets uh, its five man team is twenty five thousand okay. dollars. for first place. The whole the f- full prize pool is a hundred thousand dollars, and this is this is just a re- North America regional tournament. So, oh, huh. that's really cool, man. I have to look into this when I get home. Good on the internet, John. John, how was your weekend? I was productive. Um, had a nice uh, date night with the girlfriend last night, and caught up all the way on Better Call Saul. Finally, um, is, that, okay. is, that, is that pretty good? Did, yes. did you like Breaking Bad? I still haven't finished it, but yeah, I really like. Yeah, you'll like Breaking. It's very different, um, but it, it's still very heavily character based, and the story arcs that they're doing and the characters that they're portraying right now are fantastic. The theme of it essentially is: Why would someone be a good person? I kind of, um, I, I kind of look at everything's sunny in Philadelphia kind of the same way, in that you see terrible things happen to terrible people, and you're like, "That's why you'd be a good person," because this is what happens when you're an absolute pile of slime. And there's there's bits of it that kind of get into that because I mean, obviously, it's always sunny is very just over the top shtick is of horrible people. But um, two of my favorite characters in Breaking Bad were Mike Ehrmantraut and Saul Goodman, and now you've got them on their TV on this TV show where they can flex all of their muscles and you get a little bit more into their their psyche and their personality it's fantastic yeah i watched jessica jones instead and finished that that's, it's, that's my it's still great i mean that's not a bad decision yeah. it's a great decision and then daredevil's coming out uh before March, 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 18th. March, I thought it was a, yeah 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 house in of March. cards is march 4th march mm-hmm. 18th is daredevil and then game of thrones is sometime in april yes. and i gave up on game of thrones and silicon valley don't forget that oh, i love silicon valley that hits too close to home for me sometimes but i love silicon valley um, so like the funniest the funniest line of that show was actually in the opening like five minutes of the first episode where Kid Rock's at the concert <laughs> like Kid Rock is probably the poorest man here <laughs> aside from us alright um, you know what uh, the only thing I did really cool over the weekend is um, I helped put together a gathering of uh, blues fans at Flying Saucer and uh, there were there were fans from uh, Kansas Colorado Missouri I believe Illinois uh, in Georgia and one from Tennessee and you know everyone's you know it's it's like everyone was best friends for quite a while so that was kind of cool to be a part of that Martell showed up and said hi and that's always great but someone apparently bought an everybody an entire round of Yungling so we're talking like 13 14 people and apparently it was someone from Europe who bought the bar or bought us all around so like you guys specifically yes and you don't know who it was yeah, I don't know if perp- I know that someone, um, some of them knew who it was. Okay, but it was just like our group; just they all got bought a uh, a full round on somebody. That's awesome. So someone who wasn't even there. I don't know how that happened, but kind of cool. I love it when hockey people come together. Usually, it's pretty. Usually, it's all right. Usually, we all know that one or two exceptions, right? Absolutely. Thank you for making me feel better, John. No, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> Get nothing from me, Dan. I want to make you feel bad. Let's start in. Uh, let's start in Montreal. Uh, boring old game that uh, most of us have probably already forgotten by now. I forgot about it on Tuesday, to be honest with you. 
Like, it was, seriously, like, every once in a while, like, throughout the season, I mean, it's 82 games, you're not going to remember every single one, but I remember even later that night, I was like, what happened in that game? Well, well the, the extent of what I remember that about that game is that the Predators did not lose in overtime three-on-three. Three. They did not lose. Mm-hmm. They didn't win. They didn't win. But they didn't but, lose. The thing is, how, how but that can is a you win. forget that game? Because that was the Craig Smith phenomenon. That's where I was going into. Is the one person who's probably never going to forget that game as long as he lives is Craig Smith and his family. He does not have good luck against Canadian teams. And that's odd because Seth Jones had all the luck against Canadian teams. And not all not all Americans are created equal, of course. But you know, Seth Jones and just always seemed to score against the Canadian teams, whereas. You know, Craig, Craig Smith sends it high and wide by about five thousand miles. Sends it either high and wide, or he just doesn't like open nets against Canadian teams. I guess I, I I'm still flabbergasted about how that's even possible to do. It's, it's a matter of, I mean, he was swinging hard enough where he didn't catch the puck really well on his stick. The stick hits the 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 post. Mm-hmm. You get the you get that warp that goes on, and because he didn't get really good contact on the puck, it just got ahead. I mean, it's just. A series of really funny pe- bits of physics. Yeah, I it mean, all went into that. I, yeah, and that's the thing is, I like I saw it and I absorbed what happened, but I still didn't understand how I, it happened. It's just one of those like, freak things. Apparently, like I was, I guess I don't know the the gif of it was posted on Reddit or something. I followed up on it, and some some guy was like, "Yeah, that actually happens to me all the time." And I'm thinking, well, actually, maybe that makes sense at like the amateur level. Someone mm-hmm. who's not going to always make great contact on a puck going through the crease, and they're just going to bang it as hard as they can, really close to the next, and they want that goal. So, I mean, I could see how that would happen a lot more because there's not as probably as good eye coordination things. Like, I mean, they're not an elite trained athlete, right? It, it really seems like Craig Craig Smith is like the uh, the over anxious like Labrador golden retriever that's trying so hard to please everybody. And that's just kind of his career arc in general. Is he's trying really hard to make everybody happy. Like right now, he's he's opened up that second line in a lot of ways by skating more. He's he's making himself more available, which is creating more space for Ribeiro and Forsberg. And Forsberg's really benefit from that. But that's a prime example of how when it comes back to bite him because I feel like he does try too hard more often than he does than he doesn't try at all. Yeah, and I think we everyone at this table would agree that Craig Smith's not having a great year, especially considered, uh, you know, last year. Recently, well, I, I was going to, and that's the point I was getting at because right now he's still on pace for another 20 goal season, which I think if he reaches that mark, I mean, that's essentially what we asked well, for Craig Smith. Like I, 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 as I pointed out, the, I can't remember which night it was. It was, it might've been uh, either Saturday or, or Thursday. I can't remember, but, and I just throw out there, Craig Smith is having the same season. He's always having, it's just a matter of when, I mean, he's he's a twenty goal, twenty five goal guy. Mm-hmm. There's eighty two games. You can, you're not going to perfectly space those goals out across the season. They tend to come in in bunches, and just that's what happened. Yeah, and I think that from this year, the optics are bad too, just because of sometimes the lines haven't been clicking, so he's not getting the assists as much. Because I think he's very very much a you know a twenty twenty guy and can is consistently going to get in that forty to fifty point range. And because he's not gathering the assists because of his line mates and because he's been all around the, the lineup, um, that kind of eats into that a little bit. But again, he's on he's on pace for twenty goals. Yeah, and it's going to come out the same. And he's you know it's also I think he's one of those players that's easy to scapegoat because he does play. He's got a history of playing top line minutes. He's playing second line minutes now. When things are clinking, I mean, it used to be Will. It was always Wilson. It still is Wilson sometimes. And now it, you know now you know Smith gets to share that. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's not an elite high-end player. He's a good depth guy. He's like a second-line 
great kind of player. Yeah, and now he's making a little bit more money than he did before, which is al- always everyone's go-to for yeah, whatever but reason. Yeah, but I, th- I think it's a perfectly reasonable amount of money. I yeah. agree. I agree. Yeah, his contract isn't near bad. I mean, you look at you know what what some of these other players like. We got uh, we got guys like Louis Erickson, David Back is asking for like six and a half million dollars a year, whereas Craig Smith is making what four, four, four and, and a half. half. Yeah, I'll. I'll you're getting a lot of economy out of Craig Smith. Yeah, four and a half for for a second line guy who who consistently puts up the same numbers year in and year out is exactly the type of guy you want to pay that money to. Exactly. Yeah, he's a good effort guy. I mean, he, when you put him out here in a in a in a role where he's going to be facing against a um, let's say like a Taves line or someone a line he has to back check, he can back check just fine. But you talked about the expectations of it. Um, I'm going to read off a score line of a very well paid player. He's also a team captain, younger guy. Um, so far he has, he typically puts up 22 to 20, 25 goal seasons and usually tips in around 30 assists. And, uh, he's looked at his clutch, uh, 22 and 30, 26 and 39, 23, 36. And so far this year, 15 and 28. Who am I talking about? Gabriel, Gabriel Landeskog. Gabriel Landeskog. That was really, really well done. I was it's a little oh. creepy. <laughs> yeah, but you got hey, it too, didn't you? No. Oh, I thought you were. No, saying that's that why too. it was so it was okay. Creepy. How you just oh. like I know who it is. There's nothing wrong with Gabriel Landeskog at all. He's 23 years old, but this is I feel I'm. It's kind of odd seeing that this guy already this this is kind of his groove. 22, 26, 23. There's nothing wrong with that, but you can't put him on the incredibly high pedestal and turn around and criticize a guy like Craig Smith for essentially putting up similar numbers except Landeskog has more assists. Mm-hmm. Which you know, I'm pretty sure if uh, you throw Craig Smith next to Matt Duchesne or Joel McGinley, he would he would have a share of assist as well. Most likely, that's a piping hot take there. Um, you talked about uh, them getting through overtime. Uh, Link, did they do anything different, or is it just kind of more no, of Montreal just not were, being great? They were playing Montreal, a team that's not very good right now and not very exciting, and they don't have a ton of scoring talent. I mean, they've got Max Pacioretty, PK Subban. Well, I was thinking forwards. Oh yeah, Galchenyuk, Galchenyuk, who's you know hasn't quite yeah, excited me. Plakanich was hot to start the year, and now he's kind of cooled off a bit. Um, Thomas Plakanich. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I had some dry mouth right there. It caught me totally off guard. Just say turtleneck gangster. Turtleneck, <laughs> turtleneck gangster. Yeah, he he. That's that's his preferred name. I've I've heard that. <laughs> No, I don't think there's anything special. I just think it was a, a team. It seems to take similar approaches um, on on three on three, which makes for a really dull three on three, which capped off a very dull game. And I think Craig Smith had the only goal in over in the shootout, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, talk about that dull. game just needed to be set out to sea and lit on fire, not in like a Viking <laughs> funeral sort of way, in a please never come back sort of way. Not not a glorious funeral pyre, to, so where he's going to join you again in Ragnarok, but just kind of one of those. You know, like more no, the, you light him on fire, and you set him off to sea. Yeah, if if that game should have to Ragnarok, Valhalla would basically just be like, you know what, forget it, <laughs> we're done, we're cancel the apocalypse, <laughs> we're 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 leaving. Uh, they follow it up with the next night going to Toronto. Uh, Hutton gets the start. Uh, Philip Forsberg has a hat trick. Second line just looks murderous right now, and mm-hmm. um, we talked a bit about Craig Smith. My personal thought is that. You're seeing Forsberg finally have this space because it's like the second line finally has a their role assigned to them, where all right Smith's going to drive the puck. Smith, you know, is going to be the guy who takes the first shot possibly. Ribeiro hangs back and distributes. What other than just Smith kind of uh, refocusing has caused Forsberg to just go on this scoring splurge? Well, it helps to play Toronto first of all. That's a good way to get your scoring talent going because you're going to be able to exploit. 
the frankly the youth and the mistakes that the the roster of of the Toronto Marlies are going to make. I mean, Maple Leafs are going to make. <laughs> and um, that was perfect. Thanks for ruining it, Dan. You're welcome. Um, and uh, it's just you know, it's just kind of how the whole thing fell into place. Um, yeah, and and the one thing I do want I was thinking about earlier that you don't want to forget about the Toronto Maple Leafs is that granted they are totally they're just done with the season. But there's a lot of young guys who very much want to earn contracts, who want to go play in the NHL, who want to earn ice time. And so they're going to work really, really hard. They're not going to have the same level talent of the entire Maple Leafs roster that's on injured reserve right now or been traded away or in the process of being traded away. Um, but they're going to work really, really hard to try to demonstrate what they can do because they're playing for the future. And that's, I think, a little bit of what we saw uh, the Predators have to go up against on Tuesday was was that sort of spirit and why the game didn't end you know, 3-0 or 3-1, wide into 3-2. And it's also a Mike Babcock team. He expects the very best out of his players, regardless of their talent level, which is what he said before, because mm-hmm. he's going to make sure that they play, um, even if they don't have the same talent on the ice, they're still going to you know, give maximum effort um, you know, for all 60 minutes, which is, which is a big thing on top of what you said before. Um, I, I've also been noticing they, uh, the second line has been shooting a lot more on the rush lately. They've been going in, they've been driving in, and they've been uh, shooting low to try and get those rebounds and not to jump too far ahead. But that's how Forsberg scored a lot of his goals on Saturday. And that's great to see because we were always talking about earlier in the season how uh, they weren't driving the net and they weren't getting those second chances and they weren't doing that. But now they're able to get into the zone cleanly, get a shot off, and then pounce on it. I I don't think there's two better players on the Predators roster at, at attacking on the rush than Forsberg and Smith. Uh, so it makes a lot of sense to get them on a line together because they're just going to they're going to get in they're going to take shots going to drive the net. Um, it's almost a shame that you you can't you know rotate Smith to center and throw Arvidsson out there too. Just so you have guys who are just going to go relentless. Like a full attack. That's line. like that's like a frightening power play unit right there. Honestly, I like the Ribeiro line. I like Ribeiro with them because he's something completely different. I mean, he's he has a completely different skating style. He's something else that you have to watch for because he can rotate back and it's more of a uh, perimeter distributor, or he can hang out in the middle and just look to kick out for flank uh, for flank shots. Um, that being said, I would actually pay money to see Smith at center with Arvidsson. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I don't even know if Smith remembers how to play center all the time. No. Probably not. I mean, he knows it because he has to end up taking the draws for Ribeiro, but there's a lot more than that than just playing center. <laughs> Ribeiro is hot garbage on the dot. Um, let's talk. Let's start getting into it now. The first line up until this point, and you'll see throughout the rest of the week, the first line has not looked well as of late. Um, now we we did see uh, going into the next game, which we'll go ahead and touch into it. Uh, Chicago three one win. Uh, Yarncroke ended up getting the winner on that one. And he got the winner because it's a really good pass from Mike Fisher. You had a great game. Mike Fisher did have a great game. So and I don't think it's on Yarncroke the reason why the top lines maybe kind of had a little bit of a lull. But I, I mean, I think there's been a lull in numbers. I don't think there's been a, a lull in, in effort or performance. No. Uh, you know, Johansson goes out there every time, does some incredible things. Uh, Neil just keeps firing the puck away. He had a couple really good chances that turned out to be saves that w- that were very impressive saves over the course of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, not calling any particular uh, instance. And then Yarncrook is going to go out there, work hard, play play both ends, and and you know kind of go to the net and make things happen. I, I just think it's uh, you know it's it's just kind of a round of of bad luck for them. I think they'll be fine. Yeah, and I mean, if you look uh, all around the the roster right now, too, I mean, most, uh, I mean, 
it's kind of hard to break them up because what are you going to do? The second line is playing absolutely incredible right now. Uh, what are you going to do? Are you going to put Forsberg back up there? Are you going to put Colin Wilson up there? Who's I mean maybe, but I don't I, I don't I don't know. It's just really hard to justify trying to trying to move some stuff around. You can throw Arvison up top for a little while. I mean, there's a lot of things you could do to play around, but I'm really not individually got concerned about them. I mean, what, I mean, I don't want to get, get ahead of ourselves, but I mean, I'm more concerned about the overall team play. I mean, you know, looking through the week, I, I was really excited to see them pick up points. Well, to basically sweep the week. I never expected that. Mm-hmm. And if you go back and you look at performances from a stat point of view, you wonder how it even happened in the first place. Uh, Cause they didn't really, Deserve to win almost any of these games just from a pure stat point of view. The exception, um, talking like just game. like box scores. Well, even right? the St. Louis game. I mean, they they got their they gave up way more high danger chances than St. Louis. Well, if you look um, at like their their five on five chances, they were blowing St. Louis out of the park until the fifth goal, and then score effect took hold of that. I I get like the I thought the St. Louis game was the one game that I think they definitely deserved to win. But also, like the Chicago game, Rene kept the minute up until like the last ten minutes of the game, which much much more back and forth. Uh, Yarncrook's goal—it almost looked like you. I, mean, I would kind of—I wanted to save this a little bit until later on, talking about the Chicago game. But um, Yarncrook's winner—you look at the reaction of like everybody on the bench, and just it almost looked like they had been set free. Mm-hmm. Yarncrook had like the happiest reaction I think I've seen in this season. Well, they were lucky to be in that game. To begin with, I mean, you know, the result was what you want from a game like that because, you know, division, uh, division rival, uh, Chicago, you know, all that other stuff. But if they played that game in a seven game playoff series, they would lose four games out of that. Absolutely. In six, four and six, probably at that point. Um, But at, at the same time, the, you know, the ends justify the means for this particular instance right now because you get the two points. The division uh, foe does not get the two points on there. And then that was also a nice uh, callback for Rene because he, I don't think he's looked that good in a while. But he, I mean, he had a good week altogether. I, yeah. think, I mean, I, I'm still dipping that he stole some games for the team. I mean, because I wanted, so I wanted to pull up. So five on five through the, through for the St. Louis game. Uh, shots four are equal for the game, interesting enough. But when you look at Corsi, favored St. Louis 42 32. Scoring chances for 2015 in favor of St. Louis. High danger scoring chances 12-7 in favor of St. Louis at 5-on-5. Five five. The the penalties that St. Louis took, well, the Predators didn't really dominate at the, no. on the power play. I think, you know, wore them down, prevented them from really getting their game going, uh, them being St. Louis. Uh, so I, I think there's a lot of things that went into it because the Predators are also, they spent a lot of time blocking shots this, this week. Um, which is great, but you don't want to spend a ton of time blocking shots because that means they're getting all the shots off off their sticks. So I mean, there's I think through the course of the week they got incredible goaltending from both the keepers. Um, they I think they were shooting at like sixteen seventeen percent in the St. Louis game, um, not almost ten percent against Blackhawks. So I I think they they really had almost a reversal of some of the terrible luck they've had through the course of the year. But it does make me question, okay, how much can they keep this kind of effort going, especially compared to how, frankly, un- generally unimpressed I was in this during the Montreal and the uh, Toronto games. Let's go back to the Chicago game real quick before we get into that, just so we don't gloss over it. Um, Chicago game, Weber was out. Um, power play did not, I mean, this is a kind of a running theme with both the Chicago and the St. Louis game. The one big difference I saw, I didn't see a whole lot of difference on even strength play, but the one difference I saw was the power play. 
the power play did not look near as good, especially the top unit did not look near as good. And that's the unit that normally has Johansson, Neal, uh, Ribeiro, Yossi, and Weber. That did not look near as good as what it has before. No, it's because you're taking basically an entire option away from the power play unit, which, I mean, it makes sense. You don't always want to defer to Weber, and I think that we've harped on that plenty of times before. But at the same time, he is a very dangerous uh, option that you have there. And taking that away, you're having to uh, come up with new things on the spot that maybe that they're not used to. Yeah, I mean, you have to respect that shot every single second. You cannot just give him an open lane, an open, you know, a bunch of free ice, because he will also march in and take the shot as well. Uh, yeah, so I, it, it's really hurt the power play. It's I think it's, you know, I don't want to, again, I don't want to get ahead, but uh, I, I think it's hurt up and down the entire lineup, and I think we saw that a lot this week. Yeah. Um, we can dive into it then. I mean, I've, I've already touched on the Chicago bit. I want, I'll, it's almost like the moment that Yarncroke scored, like a switch went off in this team. And Saturday, they turned St. Louis into their punching bag. Yeah, it was probably one of the better first periods we've seen in a while, right? And the, the first period wasn't even the, 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 the time they, wasn't even the time where they scored all their goals. I mean, they scored three in the second. Um, the first period, though, they set the tone. They even have a – I'm not a big fan of, of just fighting for the sake of fighting, but mild-mannered Petter Granberg saw that one coming. It is Troy Brower. Yeah, and it was that was a bit of a surprise. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know why. You, I mean, granted, okay, maybe he did it because he knew it would really get St. Louis losing their minds. Honestly, I feel like it was more on Brower because if I remember correctly, there was like a scrum, it like on the like behind the net or something like that, and they were kind of jostling. And then Petter tried to skate up ice, and then Brower. Well, I mean, basically why came why, and why engage? Because a guy like Granberg has there's no incentive for him to engage. He can skate away, and no one's going to think anything of it. And then Brower might take a penalty or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you, there's certain teams in this league where you can take a penalty uh, or, you know, get under their skin just the right way, and they just lose it. I think Boston's the same way. That if you can get under their skin like Montreal was so good at doing, they will beat themselves. And I think uh, that's a lot of what happened to the Blues um, and why I think the the fact that the, the, the power play for the Predators, even though as ineffective as it was, really did its job because they were so on their back heel, St. Louis, that they couldn't recover from that. I mean, we, we gave the power play a little bit of a, a little bit of hate on this, but they did end up getting one, and that's, you know, kind of all you really... If you get one out of five, or you know that's fine, that's twenty percent. But um, so I did pull up the charts from the uh, St. Louis game, and right about here, the fifth goal. After that, we got score effect like hell. Yeah, I'm I'm looking. So are you looking at the the shots? I'm looking at shots and five five chances. on five were relatively even uh, after the third goal. Nashville kind of flatlined so, for a little so, bit. Yeah, but I, the thing I want you to look at is we're looking at those. It, it where that all happened. It's the it was, like I was talking about those power plays. They wrecked St. Louis. If it weren't for those, yeah, it, it, I think. I mean, it's a very, very different game. It completely just just killed yeah. whatever momentum. They didn't have. The, I mean, that's what the didn't matter. If the Persian score is that the Saint, the Blues lost their discipline. They took a lot of stupid penalties, or even if if you want to throw out there that the refs were giving away some some penalties they shouldn't have given away. Yeah, we'll which I've heard that. I've heard across. Well, they both. they also didn't call some penalties. Like Ryan yeah. Ellis definitely should have gotten <laughs> two minutes for that cross check on uh, on uh, Schwartz. Schwartz. That's what it was. Yeah. But. but you look at the you look at the either side of those that that block of penalties and things are either even or the blues are just like hey we're we're going all out mm-hmm. and so you, you so I look at that and I look at how things ended up and it really makes me wonder if those penalties weren't there what the game looks like I think this team was just frankly motivated I mean you look at how they just how they played in the first period where you know even though Nashville didn't get a one nothing lead on their like first shot of the game but 
and St. Louis almost seems whenever they're in, whenever Ken Hitchcock and St. Louis is a team right now, we're not seeing Apex St. Louis Blues hockey because you have Steen out right now. You had Petrangelo who's not a hundred percent. You've got injuries up and down the lineup. Half their goaltending bro country duo is hurt. Uh, Jake Allen, I don't believe is a hundred percent right now either. I feels like almost St. Louis is not quite Minnesota wild fragile, but because that's a kind of heavy label to give somebody, but it feels that way with them. Like it doesn't feel like that there were, we're seeing Apex Apex uh, St. Louis Blues anywhere close to the playoffs. Yeah, and I don't think that we really have all season, to be honest with you, because they've been pretty consistent all season where they've been good, but they haven't been great and they haven't been bad. And honestly, that's really all that they need to do because if they're going to get into the playoffs and then something disastrous is going to happen. Um, but no one outside of St. Louis is really taking any stock in what happens in the regular season. Now, outside of a you know a couple pieces are not even really that, that interesting of a team to watch they just sort of do their thing and their fans are their fans and it's easy just to sort of let them go uh you look at that lineup though they should be better than this maybe but they've never managed to be no i mean i, I can't you can't hold history against you know guys that are in their 20s and 30s but at the same time it almost seems like this team doesn't quite buy into Hitchcock's message. I mean, I think that plenty of people in St. Louis would agree with you on that yeah. and would say that he is stay, overstaying his welcome by at least one year, if not way more than that. I mean, I feel like that a, a more motivated team with the lineup that they have would just be crushing people. I mean, a uh, fine example, Barry Trotz goes into Washington, a roster that's not practically ready-made for a, for a run. And you look at how they play and they're motivated. Mm-hmm. Just in all facets of the game, they're completely motivated. And I guess we could also give, uh, um, crap, is it Doug Armstrong? Yeah. Uh, some credit for not firing Hitchcock because they probably could have bought, brought in like someone like Bilesma yeah, at he, some point. And that that team with Bilesma would be scary. Yeah, he was the one guy I was really worried. I thought they could save the St. Louis Blues a couple years ago. And... Um, I'm kind of thankful oh, it didn't happen. You know the, the the no you know the truth though is that no one can say the St. Louis Blues because while I'm not superstitious, they are cursed. I no I, everyone seemed to accept that last night. I, I mean, you I think you're you're definitely still onto something. And no one bothered to correct me. Like no one was like, "Hey, you tell that that Chris Link that he's that he's wrong." It's, it, well, you're you in know. a very authoritative podcast. Yeah, we are. That's awesome though. Uh, top yeah. line, silent again. Um, again, but I, I look at who they've played this past week. Um, actually, more like the past two weeks. The last 10 days, uh, Ryan Johansson over the last 10 days, center of the top line, one assist and a 45% uh, Corsi or shot attempts forward. That's a raw number. It's not score adjusted. Um, James Neal, I think, has two points. I think he's got two yeah. assists. He had he had an assist on Yarkrook's winner, I believe. And, yeah, he has another assist from last week. See, it's fine. Just fine. If nothing else, though, we're not seeing uh, the Forsberg, Ribeiro, Smith unit against the top pairing every night. If nothing else, the Johansson, Neal, and Yarkroke line is at least drawing enough attention to where they're they're facing the top pair to where so uh, the Ribeiro unit can face lesser competition. So that works. I mean, it, that's that's why you have two solid. That's why everyone has two solid lines and not just one line and three lines full of grinders. So. Um, Jackman got hurt uh, last week. Comes back against Chicago because he's made of Provel. Um, we got we got a lot of mileage out of that joke. You and me especially. It's pretty good. I was like, I thought that was just a throwaway, but Dan's like, <laughs> no, no, this <laughs> this joke will stand 
He's just basically beating its legs into the ground so it'll stand. Pretty much, <laughs> yeah. Um, other than that, I mean, I really can't remember a team a time where this team was hotter over the last two years. I mean, we, there were some great moments last year, but it felt like they were last year. They went two and one, three and one, two and one, three. And one. They just had stretches. They weren't. They never really put together a streak like this. Well, I'll tell you what. I it might be in the minority, but I, I like. Don't get me wrong. I love a good winning streak, but when it starts to get stretched out for a little bit, especially with a team that hasn't put together winning streaks in uh, throughout the season, I start to not trust them very much because you're never as good as your highest winning streak. You're never as bad as your lowest losing streak. When you have a team that wins like wins three games, loses one, wins five games, loses two, and that has that consistency across the season. That's fine. Winning, having like very small winning streaks here and there are great. But when you start stretching them out very long, that's when I start to get a little bit apprehensive. And if if they can do that, where they win two or three games here, maybe lose another game, and then win another two or three games all the way into the playoffs, then I'll start to be like, okay, they've got their stride going now. And uh, the other thing we th- I want to make sure we we consider and keep in mind is. They did this without Shea Weber being a, a key piece in in a lot of these games, and uh, you know when he's on the ice, they're gonna give up fewer scoring chances, and they're gonna have uh, just that that big intimidation piece on the power play, like you were talking about, Dan. So I think that's gonna give them a, a kind of a, a morale boost on top of the streak that they're kinda on. Kind of like we have to play better and tighter, so because we're missing a huge piece. Yeah, type of yeah, injury to and, that. And, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing the team ride the streak as best they could. Uh, not that I, I, I like to see the consistency like you were describing, yeah. John. But I also think that, that if they can get on a streak and if the Blues can dip at the right time, they can really scare the Blues. Maybe may make them a little nervous, make them a little bit less effective. Uh, not saying that they're going to be able to make up three, make up, make up six, eight points and jump higher uh, up in the rankings. But I think that they can unsettle some teams. Uh, maybe a little bit with their performance and with, with their threatening kind of to break into a top three. If nothing else, maybe it forced the St. Louis Blues into making a deadline move or make maybe forces a team to make an extra deadline move. I, 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 they don't I, have a ton of time yeah, to make, I was to say, make I don't, that move. I don't know if that's going to do it now because they don't play again until tomorrow's trade deadline. So maybe they put the fear of God into them with what they played there and to make Armstrong do kind of like a panic move. But I don't think that one game is going to dictate uh, what the Blues do no, the Blues had a pretty dominant showing today in Carolina, so they nearly yeah. outshot them two to one. But again, it yeah, is a nice. Carolina Hurricanes team that traded their captain moments before <laughs> the, yeah, game, the game started. The Predators should just send uh, Tony Potato to go stand outside the Scott Trade Center with oh, a cigarette. The, and just hey, Tony Tubitz, what do you need to not, do? Not even, not even, he just needs to stand there in the street light. Dimitri with a Yaskin cigarette. is going to run to Illinois the moment he sees him because poor Yaskin got blown up by Potato like two or three times. And that's uh, something we also failed to mention is Potato uh, did a great job of getting into the heads of the Blues players. Yeah, he did. I mean, he's he is totally ineffective, except at those sort of things. Yeah. Like, he had a pretty good week. Hey, get out of the I way! Mean, I'm skating it, it here. Maybe been above average for him, but his average is pretty poor. Yeah, but you know what? He's he at least justified a new contract. I'm okay with mm-hmm. him hanging around for a couple of years. He proved that he's at least an NHL level defenseman. Maybe on the lower end, all likelihood, yes, absolutely. But there's nothing wrong with being a bottom six defenseman. I mean, Barrett Jackman's got a nice career. Uh, Sure. Okay, Dan. Bear Jack. Well, he's okay. getting paid. That's what I'm. That's what I'm getting at. Is that Bear Jackman has I, at least. I, I think Bear Jackman has a has a history of of better numbers and and having a higher impact on night in night out. Oh, I, I'm not comparing Bear Jackman to Anthony Batetto. I'm oh, just saying that there's okay. nothing wrong with making a living being that kind of guy. No, no. I mean, like I feel the same way I could do with with um with Barley. If you can make a living being crappy, that's fine. 
Good for you. I would. I'm jealous. Like he is the new. I'm Bartley. a little jealous. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I mean, I don't. They um hold that against him. Matano's at least uh, he's at least made a lot of progress since he got called up for the first time this year. I don't think he'd, I'd classify him as a liability out in the ice as he was earlier this year. Like that Bartley Batetto oh. pairing, that was oh, that was uh-uh. that was every part of that was bad. Um, we we kind of glossed over it because it wasn't a big deal apparently. But um, have we ever seen anything kind of? Have you John Link? two fans of teams and myself with Tampa teams that actually score goals and have scored goals for a good while. Uh, two hat tricks in three games. Uh, no. That's, just, that's ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I've seen some pretty incredible, I mean, being a Washington Capitals fans, I've seen some pretty incredible streaks by Alex Ovechkin. I mean, he's been doing I've that never this heard season. Yeah, I mean, he, he I, you know, he's pretty good. Uh but anything like that, where it's six goals in three games, and an that, assist, and an, it, it's incredible. <laughs> it's pretty good. And so hopefully that keeps up, at least in a maybe not you know a hat trick every other game or well, anything like he, that. But well, he'd be due. I mean, I guess they would skip the. the I haven't looked ahead at the schedule. They play the Stars on Tuesday. So who do they play on Thursday. The Devils. Devils. So Actually, yeah. that's you know what? I don't know. Corey well, Schneider. Yeah, I was gonna say. Uh, it depends on who's going for the Devils. Yeah, if they're if they're sending out a secret agent Keith Kincaid, I think I like our chances. Keith Kincaid, you're <laughs> on the there's task. some great like <laughs> out of nowhere back with goaltenders. What was the, the Phoenix Phoenix Copley? Phoenix Copley. I was hoping is it Copley Copley. I, I heard it pronounced Copley more. Copley. I'm pretty Phoenix, sure that is Phoenix Copley. Phoenix Copley. But I mean, it's also his name is spelled wrong. It's like F. Uh, it's P H O E X. Yeah. P H E whatever P-H-E-O. is the opposite, the opposite of the right spelling. Everybody, look yeah. it up yourselves, and it's, like, it's the opposite <laughs> of that. Like you guys read the heel James Neal yeah. bit where you know why didn't your parents name you Devner or Ataltna? Interestingly enough, apparently he was the um, one of the big parts of the Troy Brower trade for Oshie. Like St. Louis really wanted him. Okay. Yeah. More power. To, you know, he, take him. He does seem like a like some low level like country opening act. You know, you get disappointed that you have to go see Phoenix Copley because he's the opening act for, <laughs> for someone Jake you, Allen and Brian Elliott. For Jake Allen and Brian Elliott, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like an NPC in a video game to me. Um, anything else you want to get to from this week before we start um, answering all them questions? I don't no, think it doesn't. So. No, no. All right. All uh, right, let's get in. Do you guys want to do uh, comments or Twitter first? I think we got more Twitter, but the comments may be a little bit more in depth. Um, I, I would say, hey, surprise us. Let's go with Twitter. I'm Ooh. not surprised, to be honest. No. It was a 50 50 shot. I, yeah, I wasn't. No, what I was expecting. We have a question from a living muffin. It's sentient. It's amazing. <laughs> Frank Marco. <laughs> Frank Marco writes in, is Batetto better than we initially thought? Uh, he used to be pretty good or really bad, but he seems to have found more stability. Um, I think playing next to Jackman will force some stability into your playing style, whether you like it or not, because he's Barrett Jackman. Yeah, I think uh, I think Link might disagree with me a little bit, but I mean, I think yes, he is, because earlier in the season, I think all of us were under the assumption that he'd be a liability on the ice. He's not going to be a... a National Hockey League player like why is he an eighth defenseman on a team with one of the deepest defenses in in the league and he came in and it was a little bit rocky to start but I think that he he justified getting that contract and that he's I mean he's perfectly fine out there when he needs to be 
perfectly fine out there when he needs to be. I mean, that's not a ringing I think, endorsement. I mean, that's that's about as unglowing as one could possibly. I mean, it, you know, you know when he's out there. Um, it, it, let me let me throw the caveat out there. We were spoiled having Seth Jones on the third pairing with with Barrett Jackman. I mean, we were obviously spoiled. Mm-hmm. So everything has to be tempered with the understanding that there was a much better defenseman out there um, than the Predators could possibly have wanted to have access to. But when he's out there, I mean, Jackman is a solid defenseman. When he's out there, he's going to do a good job night in and night out. He's not always going to be the best, but he's he's always going to be in the right spot when you, when you need him to be. Boteto, when he's out there, the other team is going to be like, yes, let's try. They're going to they're gonna try every night to get a strong line out there to play against him because they know they can exploit him. They can turn him inside out. They can he he's going to go for a hit over going over positioning, um, as we as we've seen, and all it does is get him out of position, and then there's there's more space. Uh, so I I disagree. I think he he can be a bit of a liability at times, depending on the game he's trying to play. Uh, you know he was his, his early scouting report said that he was more of an offensive player. We've seen this happen all over the place where a guy comes back and he's he you know he's going to be playing bottom six. He's not going to be put in a specialist role because why would you play potato in the power play when you have Yossi and Weber and Ellis and Ellis Eckholm. and Ekholm, right? <laughs> um, you know, what, what, when are you going to do that? So, you know, it, it it worries me. I think the team hopefully can do better. I don't know if, if it's. I don't think they're going to sign anybody. I think between having uh, Grandberg as an option, which is obviously a very very different player, maybe Stefan Elliott being able to actually do something uh, with Boteto. I still think the only team, the only reason he's still with the team is because he's on a one-way contract, and you don't want to waste an asset. Well, I think they've also familiar with the guy too. He's in Milwaukee for a good while, and I think they were familiar. They know what they had with the guy. Yeah, and and maybe he was good in Milwaukee. I don't have. I didn't really watch him very closely, but I mean, you you just look at his numbers, and most night in, night out, when he's out there, the team is just going to be lighting up whatever goaltender's out there. Yeah, and um, so I was kind of looking at his uh, his splits and everything like that as far as the games that he's played. Uh, Nashville hasn't ha- didn't have to do it this season with Seth Jones because everyone got a pretty substantial amount of ice time that was all pretty much spread out through the the course of the game. Uh, with someone like Potato, that's someone who you're going to want to keep on the low end. And I'm looking at there, and it's, uh, he had he played 16 minutes last game, but of course they were dominating St. Louis for a little bit, so that's to be expected. But pretty much it's 13, 13, 12, 10, 9, 11, 12, 12. I mean, they're doing a pretty good job of not giving him a whole lot of minutes that he's going to be out there um, for a while, which is, I think, something that they do need to do. Yeah, and I, I just, I don't think he's, uh, he's, he's an easily replaceable player. And his contract is saying that I think is going to be easily movable, probably. And that's basically and what you want with a six yeah, defense. But, I mean, I just, it doesn't excite me. I would have loved to see Ellie at least get a shot to play that role. He still may at some um, point. He, well, I, I don't think I, I maybe when the, if the, if the Admiral season ends and they pull up a couple of the Black Aces, he'll get a shot then. Um, just because they'll they'll have kind of that flexibility, but if the uh, Preds are still playing at that point, yeah, I just it, it, it John, come on, <laughs> have have a little bit of belief or confidence. And this was Chris Link telling you this, yeah. I am hurt. I gotta temper everybody's <laughs> expectations. I am so hurt. Well, one of the uh, one of the gripes that, that the great Nashville gripes is when it, when you have bad fancy stats, it's like oh he's de- he was deployed with Gostad. Oh he was deployed with the night with Gostad and Nystrom. Uh, Boteto has been deployed 
pretty much evenly across the board. In fact, with St. Louis, he actually spent the majority of his time being deployed with the top line. I, maybe that's the reason the top line hasn't been scoring. I'm not. No, I'm not blaming Batetto for that. <laughs> um, but it just, I, I, I it, he's there, and you want to limit his minutes, and you know, it just, it just goes to show the spoils of riches the Predators had uh, in Seth Jones, and, and the fact that I think they, st- I still believe it was the right trade, but it just shows you how saw that defense was and I have to say I have to make sure I throw out there that man Ekholm and Alistair way way too good Ekholm is a phenomenal I mean yeah. he's sort of like so like Yossi has to live in Weber's shadow and Ekholm has to live in both their shadows and then Ellis was living in everyone's shadow already because he's 5 foot 10 yeah. thank you yes um, but that that's I still think that's the team's best defensive pairing yeah. is the second pairing is the team's I'd agree best with you. pairing and I'd if nothing else when, when Weber does come back you get to put Ekholm and Ellis together yeah and then once again you got your best defensive pairing back together and then together. you can really shelter the jackman Batetto pairing yeah yeah and everyone wins Oh, that was a good question. Uh, Matthew, yeah, it's Gal- pretty good for a sentient muffin. Matthew Collier <laughs> writes in. I told. Let's. Well, actually, no. He was collecting. He was correcting one of his. Oh yeah, corn questions. muffin. I think those are the smartest with muffins. Not blueberry. No, it's, it's we're talking intelligence, not popularity. Okay. Matthew Collier writes in. Uh, with the games remaining, um, how many stars should Hutton get? He how many ca- games he, we have left? He actually. He actually, he actually hashtagged uh, Hut out. Hut out. Yeah. Hut like Hut out in the ice or. Oh, oh I'm like, cut out. Wait, okay, I thought like, you meant like butt out. Like, like he wants him gone, or he's out in the ice. Yeah. But in England, yeah, you know, you'd see like so and so out. You know, that's like the the way to say, hey, fire this guy. So he got what one start this week out of the four games that they played, and that's yeah, he got I, one start. I think that one that's win. one. If they do uh, one, if he plays once every week, mm-hmm. I think that's what he should, what the coaching staff should be aiming for. So. Um, you know, That's fair. Every, every other game, every other other game, you know, two to one, three to one splits, something like that. Um, I don't think that they're they need to heavily rely on him, but they should be definitely giving him some more opportunities than they had at the first half of the season. I care more about them resting Rene and making sure Weber's healthy and making sure Mike Fisher and and all their key cogs are healthy as opposed to catching the St. Louis Blues for third in yeah. the division. Yeah, I I would. I mean, if you just want me to throw out a number, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I, I would like to see him get five to six games. Exactly what I was. Gonna I think say. they've got a little under. Tw- they've got they maybe got 21 games. I think um, 19 I, games. I, I'm trying to look up the games. They've got 63. Okay, here we go. Um, the wonderful NHL.com website is takes forever to load. Um, they've played 63, so they only have 19 there games left. Yeah, five six games is perfect. Yeah, I think five or six is is kind of the the uh, the ideal number for him. And they don't have any back-to-backs left. They have, um, I think, just one or two left. They've got one. Uh, got one they, in March. They're at the uh, yeah. It's at, at home against the Islanders, and then they fly to DC. And they have one against uh, where they are home against the Avalanche, and they fly to Dallas. Yeah, so they got see, two. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the Jets. No, they actually. Have, I see Jets Flames. Yeah, no, Jets Flames. Yeah, Jets Flames. Two. Okay, uh, so, that, so that's at least three games. Yeah, right Islanders there. Caps. See, we will see some. We'll we'll at least see Hutton yeah, three Islanders more times. And then you just find him a couple more. Yeah. Maybe the last game of the year against the Stars where you don't care. Oh, that would be so great. If yeah, they start hunting against the Stars just to make sure that the Blues and the and the Blackhawks play each other in the first round. Yeah. And, and that's also, that'll that'll mean, <laughs> um, you know, that'll give Peck a little bit more time to rest. You get Peck for your, your home closer, which is only appropriate. It's never fun when you, when it's, it's that's because it's usually like fan appreciation it's night. It's the jersey off your back. Yeah, so thing. you want to have Pekka. And they're playing you know, the Coyotes, so they won't move it. And like last, the one year they played yeah. the Blackhawks for the, for the, uh, for the last game of the uh, year. I never want that. that you was, want a softie. <laughs> that was, you and I were there for that one. 
that was a that was a bleep show. I've made it to some odd games over the years. <laughs> uh, what else we got left? Uh, uh, Richard Lawson actually put in a picture of Mr. Wilson from Home Improvement. More likely to be a predator this time next year. Colin Wilson or Wilson from Home Improvement? Um, well, Wilson from Home Improvement was pretty old already. He also I doesn't probably play hockey. in his 50s, I would yeah. guess, when that show was on air. So I'm going to have to go with Colin Wilson just because I think the other guy may also be dead for all I know. I, same. Though, though, if you're asking me if do I want a ghost or and or zombie playing hockey for the Predators, I'm going to go with yes. Yeah, because they I mean, pretty much already have a ghost in Colin Wilson's spot. Oh! Well, this has been the Predcast. Yeah, thank you for your years of devotion for, to listening. <laughs> all, all 12 of you <laughs> listeners, I hope you guys all enjoyed that. Um, <laughs> Sean Aldridge writes in, do you, ris- do you realistically think there are any trades left before the deadline for the Predators? We can type, we're going to touch into that in the second half of the show to start that one off. I just wanted to make sure you, we weren't going to forget your question there, bro. Uh, Jacob Seabird writes in, thoughts on the future of the number two and number three center positions after Mike and Mike uh, are 63 and 12, They're after their contracts expire. He asked specifically then, will Vladislav Kamenev be ready for the number two center role by then? And is Colton Sissons a number three or number four C? Here, here's the great thing about talking about prospects. All of these are like, Maybe, yeah. I mean, maybe I don't know. It's two, it's two years away. Is it two? It's no. It's for Ribeiro's under contract for one more season. It's, so yeah, it's after, after two years. Yeah, yeah, it's basically so. It's basically you know. We hope we got some time. Yeah, it'd be really nice. I think that his uh, development in the AHL has been uh, very very good. Uh, I think he's been doing well for the fact that he hasn't played in North America before, uh, but. That you'd like to see another season of that happen, and then you don't know what's going to go on after uh, after that goes on. And so, like, putting him into a number two center spot immediately when he hasn't played a whole lot in the NHL is maybe a big ask for him. I think it's going to be something where you start him off maybe on, you know, the third line or something yeah. like that and help him grow into that spot. So um, that's, uh, that's not something that I think that we can really... It, say right now it does create for for some really interesting choices because you can say okay can Sissons go up to the third third second line can he make that leap uh do you actually now have the space and if he's still with the team can you move Colin Wilson back to center where he tends to perform a lot better than when he's at wing uh and actually maybe give him a chance to be successful that's a possibility as well uh I, I think there's getting out this glut of I say I say glut I mean obviously Ribeiro has been Effect, very effective in his role. Uh, Fisher has been about and par for what I expect from him in his mm-hmm. role as well. So I say a lot in, in that there's just a lot of bodies there. Yeah, um, and oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so I, I think there's going to be a lot of interesting choices. A lot of a lot of young players are going to be really hungry. Who are going to be given opportunities that just aren't available now to them. Period. And we have so many options at center right now that we have no idea how what they project to or what they're going to do because we've got mm-hmm. Vladislav Kamenev, you got Trenin, you've got Moy, you've got Novak, you got uh, Richards. Like, Frederick Gaudreau. Gaudreau is another person. Uh, uh, you know, all of these people that's what, five, six names right there? No idea how they're they're going to project as far as an NHL team goes. Yeah. No idea. And, and the nice thing about this is that there's not the pressure to have to develop a first line center or find a first line center, you just need a guy who can guys who can step into the second, third line roles and make things happen, and that has got to be a relief for the guys who are who are in charge of of, of development. Yeah, coming up so far this year, twenty two points in thirty five games in Milwaukee. Uh, Frederick Gaudreau, thirty three points in fifty three games. Uh, Ryan, Max Reinhardt, we didn't touch on him, but 
He's also played in the NHL before, yeah. and I don't think his ceiling is very high. No. Uh, Colton Sissons, 19 points in 36 games, which he spent a lot of time in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Uh, not any numbers are going to blow you away, but the thing to remember with uh, with all these guys is that there's still a whole other year that these guys can all develop before they're going to be counted on to even step into a role where you're going to be flanked by possibly a Philip Forsberg, Craig Smith, Kevin Fiala in the big level. Oh, by the way, Fiala, uh, 10 goals so far this year yeah. in 46 games. Yeah, and also let's not um, you know gloss over the fact that it's still a very competitive and very good league, and none of these guys were drafted to be like a superstar type player. Yeah. And it, well, the, the thing I really love in looking at the center depth is that they took a lot of, of high-risk guys, a lot of very talented high-risk guys. So... It's this, it's this position where you could have, if I think, let me see it. There's a risk center category, which is pretty spectacular because there's like 11 guys listed um, uh, on, on the Predators kind of center depth chart for, for prospects. Any one of these guys could turn into exactly what you expect. You know, third, maybe second line forward. A couple of them could be second line solid forward. You never know when one of these guys may really blow you away. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like anyone said Patrice Bergeron is amazing. He was under the radar for longer than I think the history of any players ever flown under the radar. And all of a sudden, everyone's like, "Oh, this guy is really, really Taking good." Second round in one of the best drafts in history. Yeah, but he just he was kind of quietly being very good, and then all of a sudden, everyone realized his real value. Um, I could see, you know, either Common or Trennan, either of them, or Novak as well. Novak um, had a really good game. Uh, you and I were both watching that Minnesota-Michigan game, weren't you? Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, I'm totally jealous of the Big Ten for college hockey. I was actually watching some college hockey on Friday. Yeah. And by Friday, I started to go back off the track. I watched uh, Notre Dame get spanked by uh, BU. And then after that, uh, I watched curling for two hours. It was fantastic. Sounds like a hell of a weekend. Love, I love some curling. Yeah, that's curling. pretty cool. It's just become a curling podcast now. <laughs> so good. <laughs> the Minnesota game was really good. Novak ended up having the assist, uh, game-winning assist on that. Um, Novak's kind of a wild card to me because you know he got uh, he got lit up earlier this year with that nasty hit. So I'm kind of seeing kind of yeah. Well, he's a smaller player, player, isn't he? Yeah, he's not huge. Um, which these college kids, you know, their weight seems to fluctuate a little bit more than the um, more than the junior kids. It's because their brains are filling with knowledge. This is to that they do have access to the training table. They get fed a lot. Stephen Lowry writes oh, I in. Had no idea. Thank you for for t- <laughs> no, like no. I had no idea what you were talking no, about. There's, this is true. The reason why David Price, the pitcher for the now Boston Red Sox, one of the best athletes that's ever came out of Middle Tennessee, um, he just got signed a stupid contract with the Boston Red Sox. Mm-hmm. He credits the uh, the Vanderbilt uh, athletic kitchen, the training table. As the reason why he oh. signed for Vanderbilt, I was like, "Why would so like?" By the time you started like, I'm like, "Why would someone put like a bunch of burritos on like a training like a trainer's table? Like that's where no. people sit to have like body parts poked at and like <laughs> like <laughs> like ice put on muscles and things. I mean, why would they put put food on that? Don't question athletic development, Link. <laughs> no, you look at a guy like Nick Bukestad, who is a monster, and he's just now starting to fill out his huge frame. But you in college, thinking since these guys are there. Under, under university watch for all this time, one of the good things, that, advantage that you have with college uh, with college sports is that you can even tailor their diet to where you know, you're going to need to get the X amount of protein, you need to have X amount of calories, and there's a university chef there to make that happen. Kind of cool. Something that we don't really talk about a whole lot on this, on this area but because we're not you know, creepy and care what 18 and 19-year-olds are eating. Sam Aldridge writes in, do you realistically think... Muffins. Oh, he asked about the trades... Richard Lawson asked about Colin Wilson. You brought up Stephen Lowry, didn't you? 
Is it seasoning uh, salt? Seasoning You're right. Salt? Stephen Lowry. Sorry, okay. I'm stuck on food. Okay. <laughs> Stephen Lowry writes in, explain your thoughts on the first line over the past 10 games using a movie title. He has hashtag taken, hashtag gone girl. I don't watch a lot of movies. I'm not good. I don't, I don't know. I'm not prepared for that. We can go, we can go old style with this. Um, what's something that didn't... Hmm. The first line as a movie. As a movie title. Hmm. We need this was like this. Yeah, I don't. I, I, I don't if you give me about know. ten minutes, I could probably fire some off. But on the spot, Stephen, that's cold, man. Yeah, Stephen, that, that's a that's a cold one. Oh wow! Why don't we come back to this after the break? Yes, yes. We'll. I'll make sure to lead that off the break. Um, that was yeah. Dude, that was really we, good. Yeah, well, we need we need prep time, and I needed access to like Wikipedia and or IMDb or Netflix, so I can watch some movies in the in the five minute break we take. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Dustin uh, writes in. Obviously, Callie isn't the answer for the first line. Do you think the Preds make a move to get a first line wing? I wouldn't say that Callie isn't the answer. He's I mean, my answer. He's he's been fine in his role so far. I mean, I don't. Don't really, uh, if you expect like one or like a goal every three games, we have a nice twenty goal season. I think it, if he was playing with this with this line for the entire season, I think he would have gotten to twenty. Um, maybe, maybe. I, I mean, he he's could. I think he could do he's it. He's there to be kind of the third man to kind of, to allow more space for Neil and Johansson. Not every line's going to be freaking Corey Perry, Ryan Getzlaff, Bobby Ryan. All right, not every top line in history is going to be that. So it's true. I, I'm no, I'm kind of hard to do that. I, I am fairly satisfied with uh, Yarncrook there, uh, you know, because it gives you a guy who who you who can stand and plant himself in front of the net, who has the ability to to stake out his his space in the ice, and let the skilled guys set up around him, and then he's there to try to bat some things away or just at least screen the goaltender. And I think that works really well when you're not adding another player who's trying to position himself to score a goal. Um, constantly, like you have with with some of the other offensive lines. You use a basketball analogy for this. There's only one ball on the court. There's only one puck on the ice. So when you have too many similar parts, it's not efficient. You gotta have a you gotta have a roster where all five all five skaters do something a little different than the next guy. So Yarncroke is something completely different than the rest of that top line, and that's the only line where that's the case. So it does work with him, and it works vice versa. Um, I don't, I think he's kind of, I think I get what you're saying. You're kind of, you're upset over the last 10 games. You know, the top line hasn't been, hasn't kept up their pace, but they're also not getting scored on a whole lot either. And that's mostly because yeah. Cali Yarncroke and James Neal are very good two-way forwards. And I'll also say, I mean, in, in the current NHL, not as many points are being scored. So to expect a guy like Johansson to be at, at or above a point per game for the continuously through his entire season is unrealistic right now. So the fact that he's cooled off is, is kind of an expectation. And I think he'll, like I was talking about earlier, I think he'll get back in, into the normal ways and that line will follow with him. But, uh, but at the end of the year, his stats should add up to right around like 60-something points. Which I think is, is fantastic. That's, that's I mean, that's, that's kind of going to define like a top line for Yeah, point. I mean, basically he's playing better than he was playing in, say, uh, not, I'm sorry, not St. Louis, uh, Columbus. At the beginning of the season, which I think is what we wanted and what we expected. As long as the team's winning, you're not going to hear a lot of people complaining that that, that line only has like two, two or three points over the last. Oh, two I've days. been hearing it. You've been hearing these them? are hockey fans. People will complain. People always. You know will what? Complain. That's what happens when you have a top line center. The microscope's going to be on that guy, and that's what happens. Mm-hmm. You know that that's cost of doing business. 
All right. People are actually happy that the, someone else went after Eric Stahl. I like that. I'm happy. Yeah. Nicholas Weston writes in, who do you guys think is the most improved player since the start of the season? Most improved player? That's, That's a good Yark- question. Is Yarkrook on that discussion? Um, because Callie Yarkrook right now has a has 12 goals. Last year he had seven. I, I think um, Yarncroke is performing how he's capable of performing. Especially with uh, the line mates yeah. that he's playing I, I with right now. Yeah, I don't think it was really an improvement from him. Did you see uh, Yarncroke being this level of penalty killer, though? Yeah. Okay. I mean, he's he's a Red Wings prospect, right? Originally? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so he probably, I mean, Babcock probably saw a good two-way system system player. Uh, and that's exactly what Yarncroke is. He's a very solid system-focused player who does what you ask him to do. So, I mean, from that stuff, it makes sense. Uh, the Predators are a little interesting in that I think that a lot of their, their key guys are fairly developed. I'll throw one out there. It's Carter Hutton. That That's the guy who, I mean, I don't think anyone expected to put up what he's been doing right now. And... I mean, yes, he's had limited times, and he's you know benefiting from a little bit of good luck and from the small sample size. But I mean, I don't think that there's really a whole lot to complain about with his last few starts. Uh, yeah, I, but I, I I do think that you you roll the dice in those games another time, and it's gonna come up normal standard whole here. Here's a whole history of Hutton's career. I mean, we're seeing him put up numbers that are totally unlike anything he's ever put up in in a fairly long career, um, at both the amateur and professional level. Um, so I, I, I mean, his numbers are improved, but I don't think he's improved necessarily as a goalkeeper. I, honest, honestly, I think that he has a little bit just because last year he was all over the place. Now he seems a little bit more settled down. Um, but I mean, that's fine if he wants to play out, you know, like like crazy, and then get someone to sign him to a you know five six year deal or something like that. As long as it's not in Nashville, go for it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I, um, I mean, he's such a great just personality and obviously a very smart, intelligent guy. He, I, I think I honestly think his biggest contribution has probably been um, just supporting Pekka. I mean, from the, they've been a little bit more open about it this year, mm-hmm. um, but it sounds like he's really there to help help out Pekka as much as he can. So he, no matter what happens at the end of, at the end of his contract, he has such a bright future in in kind of the realm of professional hockey. Hey, here's a just a a tangent thought on this. When's the last time the Predators pulled their goaltender this year? Like, they were swapped goaltenders in the middle of the game. I don't think they have this year, have they? I don't think they have. I can't think of uh, the, anything. The last time I think that anyone was calling for it was uh, the Philly game. Yeah. I think, and Laviolette just let him in there, left him in there, but... Um, yeah, I don't... I, and I'd have to go back and look at the box scores because off the top of my... Uh, off the top of my head, I remember, like, even though that the, like, Pekka was letting up, like, three, four, five goals, it's never been, like, right after the other or, like, one, one. It's always been, like, spread out by a few minutes to where yeah. it's not necessarily all on him or the team was scoring along with that as well. And when you've got to, you know, when the both goalies aren't very sharp, then you, you know, what you're going to yeah. take someone out. There, I mean, there, there's point in the goaltender when you know it can have a impact to, to help your team try to pull out a victory. And then there's probably a goaltender because he's just getting lit up, and you're th- you're trying to protect him as a person. Uh, I-, I think that Laviolette knows Pekka well enough to know that if the team if he's getting lit up, don't pull Pekka because the team's probably not going to pull back in. Maybe they will, but changing the goaltender is going to do that. The team is going to do that, and the best thing for Pekka long term is to let him work out his crap on the ice. 
that's that's what worst what we've seen so far, and the results are pretty darn good. He's four zero and one in his last five with under one goals against. The Snide writes in, that's the name. Uh, do you think the trade deadline moves or lack thereof will affect the chances that Jimmy Vesey signs in Nashville? So, so do the essentially do, do, do does like them standing pat versus them doing something affect whether VZ comes? That depends. Is I that think, yeah, I think so. I think okay. that's the question. I think the, that if they move out a, um, I mean, we prodded around it earlier. If they move out a Colin Wilson or something like that, that's a big gaping hole that he can jump in. Well, um, it depends on what they bring back in. Um, I mean, if you if you move out Wilson, who plays a lot of left wing, and you bring in another left wing, you haven't really saw the fact that you've got a bunch of left wings. Mm-hmm. None of them are super great, but you've got a bunch of left wings. You know, I mean, say if they move out like a Victor Arvidsson or something like that, that's oh, another don't, one. Don't don't say that, Dan. Well, it's if so you know hurtful. that VC's coming in, I mean, if you can, that, that, there's not a real way that you can guarantee that though without tampering with them, right? Yeah, I mean, I I think it very well could, but I mean, I'm not gonna. Yeah, yeah it, it it'll just depend on what's going out, what's coming in. Um, if he thinks that there's, if, I mean, if they bring in something where uh, there's just too much space on the left wing now, then mm-hmm. yeah, no, I I think uh, from just a a hockey business point of view, you have to just act as though VZ is not going to be an option, whether it's him signing or not. That's that's a, that's a separate conversation, but you have to run your team as though that player is not available because he's not available, and so you cannot either make a move or not make a move in hopes to enticing him because that's right. not helping your team really. Right, and I'm sure, given everything that Poyle said this year and last year, that regardless if if VC signs, he'll find a spot for him on the roster somewhere. Yeah, um, I mean it, it, the the roster limitations will be lifted um, after Monday, right? Yeah, he just needs to fit under the yeah. salary cap, and there's absolutely no problem with that. Yeah, so I, yeah, I don't think the 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 trades. I mean, the the Johansson trade is was the big trade. It's mm-hmm. what's going to say, okay, hey, you have a shot. You can come up. You can come here, and you can earn a spot playing next to James Neal and Ryan Johansson if you come, if you sign and come over. I mean, that's enticing. I don't know who the Predators would go out and grab that would steal the top left wing uh, roll away from Yarn Croak um, that the Predators could really want to afford and bring in. Uh, so I, I think that's the reality of that situation. Uh, just a real quick yes or no on that. Do you believe that Scott Hartnell could do that? I don't believe Scott Hartnell can do that. All right. I don't, I'm don't. i not as big as a proponent on it as most other people are just because of his age and his contract. With you on that, uh, John Smith writes in, even if Hartnell declines uh, to a similar production rate as Wilson now, is he a better fit for the bottom six or, or better fit for the bottom? Blah, blah, blah. Is he a better bottom six fit for the third line? It's asking if, if, uh, if Scott Hartnell declines to Colin Wilson's level of production. Well, then he would be as fine as Colin Wilson, well, no, right? Well, I, if you're talking about third, let's see, bottom six, third line. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. the question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here's the thing. There's, if, if we assume that scoring output is the same between these two players. And so you start looking at other factors. There's, and, and let's even go, let's take more layers off. Let's take away the age. Let's take away the contract because the difference in contracts is about $800,000. So it's not massive. And the, and the terms are going to be the same. And the too. terms are the same. So really, I mean, let's, let's get rid of that contract and let's just ignore age. Wilson is better defensively than Hartnell. Wilson takes way fewer penalties ding, than Hartnell. Ding, ding. So if you're playing... On the third line, I do not want a left wing 
who is bad defensively and takes a lot of penalties. I would take Colin Wilson any day of the week on the third line over Hartnell. Hartnell is essentially, at this point, a power play specialist. He's got 20-something goals in the season. 12 of them, I think, came on the power play. So uh, like that really kind of plays into our last question because you don't you don't you don't believe that Hartnell. I mean, I'm, I think I'm with you with this not being able to unseat uh, like a, unseat a Cali Yarncroak from the top line. Um, you know, I think that he probably could for the rest of the season. Whether that be a good option or not, you know, who knows? I mean, I, I do think that Scott Hartnell has productivity in his game uh, for at least a season. The problem is, is that going to keep up? Because Maybe Wilson is not the, you know, 40, 45 point guy that he was last year. Maybe his ceiling is closer to about 30 points. But if you look at um, Hartnell, who is going to start declining in production soon, then he's going to be getting to that 30 point spot. And he's older and it's it's less of a guarantee that Scott Hartnell in two or three years is going to be that 30 point producer than Colin Wilson will be. Colin Wilson's having an awful year, yes. He's probably not as good as last year showed, but I don't think that he is as bad as he has seen this year. I don't. Again, you get, you get the opportunity to play more, maybe more center. Colin Wilson playing you know, kind of his natural position, his preferred position, and you might see his performance go up as well. Yeah. I'd like to at least see it. I've always wanted to see it. Uh, let's see. Um, Ty- sorry to jump in, but uh, so yeah, uh, Hartnell, 20 goals, 21 points for 41 on the year. Uh, 11 of those 20 goals have been power play goals. Okay. Nice. Uh, Tyler from uh, Game Time writes in, you guys were all great hosts. Were we, satis- were we satisfactory guests of Nashville? Absolutely. Mario wrote in a question that I wanted to save to last, and that's only because no trade has made, been made, so I can't answer Cody Holland's question about, uh, about a placeholder question for the... Um, for the trade deadline acquisition. Mario writes in, off-topic question, what makes a good arena atmosphere and crowd, and what is the weirdest crowd at a game that you recall? So I'll, I'll, I want to get my answer out of the way first because mine's the least probably good answer of all of you guys. <laughs> I don't care that much. Um, I just want to at least, I just want to kind of be generally left alone. Um, if I'm there with people, I just want to interact with people I'm there with. I just want you know especially if i'm in a away arena i just i don't want to like get into arguments with other people there it's just no fun um so i mean that the weirdest thing has to be anytime you've got a bunch of sharks fans in bridgestone and they start picking fights that just strikes me as weird because it's the sharks it's like the predators have not had some big rivalry with the sharks ever i don't well, know they lost to, to them in the playoffs yeah twice, that, that, that was, was what, a while ago. ago yeah it's like so but you know, I've, I've been to multiple games when the Sharks are visiting and had fights break out in the stands. And sh- the Sharks, I don't... It's so weird to me. Um, yeah, so I like it when people are invested in the game. I mean, pretty much without exception, the places that I've been, um, there everyone's been very nice. Uh, for me, what makes a good atmosphere is people who are invested, you know, they go, oh, when there's a miss, or, you know, you can hear an audible gasp when things are going on, and there's just a chatter around. Shoot! Uh, shoot, John! Oh, God. Um, no, because, I mean, one of the worst games that I ever went to was in Joe Louis Arena. I mean, no one cared about that game whatsoever. At all. Ooh. It was it was it was one of the worst games that I've ever you, been to. You were just hoping the stands weren't going to collapse beneath you. You were terrified. Yeah, you I was all the way up the too. Game. I was able to touch the ceiling too. But people yeah. worried about is that how much it was collapsing, or are you just that high up? I was that high up. Okay. People worried about the amount of black mold in the arena or something, or didn't want to breathe in a whole. No, lot? the place was full. <laughs> it was a, wait, whoa, 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 full of black mold. 
Whoa, 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 whoa. The, the place was full? It was mostly full. Yeah, it was a Saturday. There was a mostly Sunday. Uh, I mean, again, I was all the way up where I was, right. but where, where we were. And was I, a I didn't have game? a playoff game? No, they were playing the Blue Jackets on a Sunday matinee game. That's one of the reasons why it probably wasn't very fun because no one cared about that. But at that point, the Blue Jackets were on a like a five-game winning streak, and they were kind of had some playoff hopes. And Detroit was going to be going to that, but like no one was paying attention to the game. No one was gasping. No one was invested in the game, and it was just like I was more invested. I'm not even a Red Wings or a Blue Jackets fan. Uh, for me, what makes a good, what makes an entertaining game is uh, just number one, like you said, people need to be invested into it. The care level needs to be high, and. I've won like late start times against teams that aren't uh, teams. There, there isn't that natural investment in now. If it's a playoff game or if it's a game against the Blues, sure, throw it on a Saturday at two o'clock. Two o'clock is perfect. Five. I love afternoon hockey games. Like five o'clock on Sunday is great. Mm-hmm. Like that's like my favorite time. There was a playoff game against the Ducks. I think it was Game Six. Was at five o'clock on Sunday, and it was perfect. Like all the places were open. You parking wasn't bad. Traffic wasn't bad. Just it's a playoff game, so you still have a lot of sunlight, which is always nice. Oh, yeah, have a I'm hockey able, game. I was able to drink in my hockey jersey uh, and wearing shorts, so it was great. Nice. There's something beautiful about walking out of a hockey room after a game, especially a win, and it's still like lots of there's lots of like just regular sun and annual annual sunlight, a seasonal sunlight. Mm-hmm. It's, oh, that's a great feeling. That yeah, is, especially when it's actually a little bit warm outside. Maybe yeah. not like hot, but just like like what it was today, where it's like yeah. you got a nice cool breeze, but there's still some like sixty um, degrees is always yeah. great. Um, real quick to answer the weirdest uh, experience I've ever had. I went to a playoff game in 2012. It was uh, Boston versus the Capitals. And I sat next to two Bruins fans. I think they were from Maine. And I was, like, dreading it because I thought this was going to be the worst experience of my life. And, yeah, they were rowdy. They were cheering and everything like that. But, I mean, that's what they do. They weren't obnoxious. And uh, eventually we got to talking, and it was a back-and-forth game. And the Bruins would get ahead. And then the guy said, I was like, yo, dude, you know that they're going to tie it up. You know that they're going to tie it up. And then they eventually did tie it up. And then they went ahead. And the guy, like, by the end of the game, we were buying beers for each other. There are... Broadly speaking, two types of Bruins fans. You have Bruins fans from Boston. You have Bostonians and and wherever they spread from there. And you have Bruins fans who are from the New England area. Mm-hmm. The Bruins <laughs> fans from the New England area are delightful. They are. They're the, delightful. They're those just guys are good, fantastic. normal people. It's the Boston. It's the Bostonian Bruins fans that get to be a problem because that's like the bro sports capital of the world. Yeah. There is no debate to this. You were that's perfectly right. The weirdest, uh, real quick, the weirdest game atmosphere I ever had uh, was actually not an NHL game. Uh, I it was a uh, Star Wars night at a uh, ECHL game, and during the <laughs> anthem, uh, first off, Darth Vader did the puck drop, and nice. uh, during the anthem, rather than removing any of your helmets, removing anything, so like there's like a children's choir singing the national anthem, and there's like a stormtrooper holding his gun behind the choir. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's always the thing that weirds me out because, like, is it the is it the five hundred first that does that? Um, they're they're basically they're stormtroopers. They dress up in stormtrooper costumes. They do a lot of things for charity. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's all really cool, but at the same time, it's like the stormtroopers are like part of a fascist. They were the soldiers of a fascist regime. Like the 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 uniforms that the stormtroopers and the and the Empire wore were inspired by like Nazi. Yeah, style so uniforms. I always like, thought it was so weird how like the five hundred first goes out dressed as like fascist soldiers to support charity. It's like okay. Well, if you look at Darth Vader's helmet and compare it to the German style of World War II, where it kind of has like a bit of a flap that comes out from below the ears, totally the same. Yeah, things like that. It's pretty strange. That is the end of the Twitter questions. Great job, everybody. Good audience. Good audience. All right. 
Let's go ahead and uh, get our halfway break. We'll come back to the other side. We got Twitter. Uh, we got some questions from our comments section. We're going to talk a bit about the uh, trades and also five tough questions. This broadcast brought to you by Lionzone Internet Marketing Solutions. These days, you need to partner current and latest website design standards. One that also provides quality support services like hosting, email, e-commerce, CMS, and more. And you need a partner experienced in online branding and marketing, like social media, search engine marketing, rich media, and email marketing. You need a partner that knows how to market your company in today's age of advertising. You need LionZone. Their professional staff and partners have the know-how, creativity, and experience to help you reach your marketing goals. Contact them today for a free consultation at 615-353-0402. That number again is 615-353-0402. Or you can reach them on their website at www.lionzone.com. Lionzone, Nashville's leading internet marketing agency since 1999. back in john has already had the answer to uh to the question regarding the movie titles uh so first they're both angelina jolie movies actually so you've got gone in 60 seconds because right now that's what they're that's doing what I was they're going on with. The, yeah on the ice and then gone uh and then also wanted what about changeling another angelina jolie movie yeah i don't how does that fit uh they changed into hackers. a not productive one salt i'm just naming angelina jolie movies and i've never seen any of these uh, Angela, I mean, <laughs> involving uh, you know a you a son gets a, a child gets kidnapped and then they 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 recover the child but it's not her child. They, they just so, recover a child. So is it? It's kind of like an invasion of the body snatchers type. Wait, uh, kinda. did they, they wait? They they kidnap somebody. I was this was years ago. So man. they thought they were rescuing somebody. They kidnapped somebody. That actually sounds like a comedy. It's known for having Angelina Jolie scream, "I want my son back." That's kind of the... Well, then you shouldn't be kidnapping other people's kids. The lasting lasting, uh, legacy of of that god-awful movie. Mm. Let's get into it. Comment questions. Guys brought it strong today, even on a Sunday. Can't complain. Um, Herzostein writes in, I was very bold about making the playoffs uh, in today's dump and chase. So um, he writes in, saying we make the playoffs, who would be our most favorable matchup, which we touched on that a bit last week. But... um, um, he, we kind of went a little bit of rephrase there. If Nashville, would you be a fan of Nashville sneaking into third in the division? Because uh, we no. don't see them. We don't see them even coming to the top two. That I would rather them rest Renee and and not even mess with that. I want them to be like Dash at the end of Incredibles, where he's sprinting out to number one, but there's something. No, 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 no. Second, second is good. Second, don't don't go too fast. Don't go too far. Second is where you want to be. 
And by second, I mean the wild card spot yeah. so that they can get in the Pacific because that the central division is going to be a dogfight. And people can yell and scream and say, well, you don't want a challenging path to the you Stanley don't want Cup a banner, Western John. Conference or this, that, or the other. It's like, well, you know what? No. You get a Pacific uh, mm. banner. No, actually, they won't get a Pacific banner. They'll just get a Western Conference. The only, the only banner they would win have a chance of winning or the first band oh would have a chance yeah of winning that's right because yeah. Western uh, Conference. things that actually make sense yeah yeah yep no yeah. i don't know what i'm talking about so uh <laughs> but no i would i mean if it gets them to the western conference final i don't care who they play as long as it's easy uh, i as much as as brutal as to how the ducks play and as big as the kings are i still think that's the easier path than going through the central yeah it, it, it's a it's a entirely rock and hard place type scenario you just are trying to find where the crack is in one or the other and, and exploit that because uh, there's nothing I mean maybe maybe Dallas is the team you would want to face in the central and then San Jose is the team you would want to face in the uh, in the Pacific but that's not super likely to happen I mean you, you're looking at whoever's leading yeah uh, and so, I mean, there's not a great option on either side of there. Yeah, San Jose right now is uh, eight points yeah. behind Los Angeles for uh, third in the Pacific Division. Um, Ducks are only four points behind, and they have a game in hand. Uh, but, I mean, Los Angeles, all they have to do is keep playing like they've been playing all year, and they they lock up the central crown. Pacific, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I apologize. Both of them are win streaks. The Ducks are on a seven-game win streak. The uh, Kings are on a four-game win streak. Yeah, and it's 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 really... I mean, that's the thing with the wildcard spot, is that the Pacific is known to be weak, but the two top teams are very strong. Yeah. And so you don't really want to face them either. But, you know, just given the history, I, I, I'd like to see the Preds go up against, you know, the Kings or the Ducks rather than Chicago. Yeah, just mm-hmm. because there's something... Psychologically. We, we saw it, yeah, you know what? That, yes, because we saw it even with the reaction that Yarkert, with Yarkert's goal, just like there felt like there was just a, an air of relief that we can we can do this. And you don't typically see that from a more veteran team. This is The Predators are kind of a weird team where they're kind of caught in between being a veteran team and being a younger team. So that pendulum's kind of swipping out of us, like moving back and forth. Um, next question. Yeah, I just went off my screen here. There we go. Just how pissed are Capitals fans wishing they still had Forsberg? Let it go, people. Let it go. Let it go. Honestly, I think I'm going to write an article about this, but I'll say it here right now. If they had kept Forsberg, chances are they're not where they are right now because uh, who knows if George McPhee loses his job when he did. Who knows? A lot of that from the trade was bad to begin with, but then you have Adam Oates completely giving Marty Erath the wrong assignments and playing him on the fourth line when he had Miguel Grabowski, who he could have played on line with and it would have been fantastic. And so if George McPhee doesn't lose his job, then you don't get Brian McClellan and you don't get Brooks Orpik and Matt Niskanen, which completely revamped their de- their um, their defense. And you don't do that because free agents did not like what George McPhee was selling and they had a hard time doing that and getting free agents in like big name free agents in uh, towards the end of his tenure and if you don't do that then you don't get Oshie you don't get Williams you don't get Richards you don't get all these play these pieces and yes it's nice to uh, fantasize about oh Evgeny Kuznetsov and Andre Burakovsky and Philip Forsberg it'd be all that great but who knows what would have happened there. And at this point, I think the Capitals are doing pretty good without Philip Forsberg. And I'm sure the rest of the whole Washington fan base agrees with that, was word for word, right? 
they, I mean, they do not like to trade, as I mean, most fans don't. But to sit here and say like, "Oh, look at that!" Like, how much do they wish that Philip Forsberg was on the team? Well, the answer is that they don't, because they are far and away leading the NHL right now. They've got a deep team. Who cares? Uh, just very small-minded Predators fans. I think they really want to hold something over somebody. I, I, I'm. I'm definitely past it, you know. Yeah. We all they can use that to keep themselves warm at night since they don't have any banners to wrap themselves up with. Well, it's better than the uh, the fire use hazard. Blankets like human beings, John. Mm. Yeah, blankets. Yeah, it's mm. at some point that the fire marshal is going to shut down the Verizon Center with all the stuff they have hanging in the ceiling that don't mean anything. Next question. Um, you can say that about the Sharks <laughs> and the Red Wings too. <laughs> no, the Red Wings at least the banners actually me- there's some that actually mean something there. Uh, they have a regular some, season banner in there some, too. The Presidents Trophy banners, right? Do you have at least one of those? The Capitals? Yeah. yeah. Got a, more they, than one. Maybe. And they got a bunch of division banners, I'm sorry, too. I actually... They have, they have a ridiculous amount of division banners. I... I well, yeah, it was the... Southeast. Um, but I, I'm actually one of the 12 people in North America who really enjoys a President's Trophy banner. And, a, and a, I think that actually soccer matters pe- well, to me. Soccer people get that, because, you know, it's, it's a sustained performance over a long... You're the best through 82 games. How, do you, how does that not matter? That's such a big... That's such an amazing achievement. And the the worst part though is that the awards ceremony where they have to come up and accept the president's trophy. Yeah, we're we're really happy to win this, but uh, it's not the one we wanted. But uh, thank you, everybody. We're going to do better next year. Now, ladies and gentlemen, bare naked ladies. Bare naked ladies are way too famous to be playing at the NHL awards. <laughs> give it give it two years. <laughs> give it two years when oh those guys <laughs> okay they just happen to be walking around the airport in Toronto. Uh, from jboogie22 actually you know what I'm going to go to this one first Murph Pred writes in uh, what has the team done so well over the last few games to make Weber's absence barely noticeable and I'm going to exclude the power play time because that was painfully noticeable but uh, how about some credit to Ryan Ellis yeah although I, I will say that Weber's absence was extremely noticeable in the Chicago yeah, yeah. game I mean they basically they had an I mean, they did not play a very good game in Chicago. Rene did, and then they just pounced on an opportunity. And then they played a pretty good game in St. Louis. But um, they still miss Weber. They do. Yeah, I mean, Ekholm and Ellis are both very good. Um, I think I think uh, Granberg is certainly serviceable when you give him more appropriate minutes. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I do think the Predators were giving up some more, some really dangerous scoring chances they might otherwise give up. Uh, I think it stretched a couple guys beyond what you really want to see him play. Um, I, obviously, with, with uh, like Potato and and Jackman having to play some extra minutes. Uh, so, I, I, and then of course in the power play, which you talked about earlier, I think all those things uh, Weber was really missed because uh, he is a very good defenseman. J Boogie Twenty Two writes in: How do you guys feel about Kevin Fiala? I've heard his name brought up as a possible trade piece to bring in a rental. Yet this is a guy who only had, who only two drafts ago was an 11th overall pick. Do you think he still has the potential to become a key player in Nashville's future, or or pardon? And do you think the uh, front office has given up on him? I don't know if the front office has given up on him. Uh, more so as maybe they're he doesn't seem as untouchable as maybe a prospect should. Because, uh, I mean, if they have a chance to make their team better right now, I guess you can do that. But, I mean, again, just because is you're hearing some chatter and stuff like that does not mean that he's automatically going to go out. Um, I think I think fans are more down on him than probably the team, both 
Nashville and Milwaukee kind of as a, as a partnership mm-hmm. are. Uh, you know, he comes up, he, he makes a quick splash, he disappears. He's done that twice now. Uh, but he know, also he, hasn't gotten a whole lot of time. Yeah, he there. hasn't gotten a ton of time. And people read the article, you know, they, they, there's, there's a lot of people thinking about to the, the beginning of the year when he had a lot of attitude issues. Uh, and, and everyone assumes that if you are a future star, you're going to be a star from the second you reach the NHL, mm-hmm. which isn't always the truth. The guys who do that are usually, you know, guys who are in the top five picks. Uh, so I, I think it'd be foolish to give up on him. Uh, I, I don't. I don't think the organization has in any way. Uh, I also think it'd be it'd be a little silly to trade him because he does have a lot of great tools. Also, I don't think I, I never give up, give up on Swiss players um, ever. That and it's not like they're incredibly um, deep on the left wing right now. Yeah, there's not a lot of depth for the team's left wing. Uh, you know, VZ could change that in an instant, um, but that still doesn't mean Fiala is irrelevant. It means that if he develops well, then you've got great choices to make. Yeah, you've got great depth. Yeah, and, and you mentioned it too. I mean, I, th- I think there's still a little bit of uh, bias towards the stories we heard at the very beginning of the season because uh, you mentioned it just uh, in the first half about how well he's doing um, in Milwaukee He's doing lately. okay. He's got 29 points in 46 games. Uh, for those who okay. care about plus minus, he's a minus 19 on a team with pretty good goaltending. Yeah, sure, but at the same time, you could... Uh, I mean, he's not a great defensive player. I think we all know that. No. Um, also, you know, it's plus minus, but... Anyway, yeah, exactly. and, and also, I mean, think so. Think about how how bad he was at the beginning of the season too, and that cuts in a lot to his development as well. Um, so, I, I I think that I I don't think that the the rumors are as as bad as some people and want to chat about. And, and a lot of people hate personality in their hockey players unless it's someone else's hockey player. Like, people don't want, they don't want personality in their team. Like, everyone loves John Scott as long as he's playing somewhere else. Everyone loves P.K. Subban as long as he's playing somewhere else, which is insane. Unless the player's goofy, which everyone loves um, Brent Burns. Well, Brett Burns is, is, he's appropriate hockey goofy because he's got scraggly beard and the missing teeth, so he's very Mr. Hockey. Um, it's things that are not, like, traditional hockey that, that throws people off. Fiala is that way. Subban is that way. Um... There's a lot of players who are, who are very Joshua much that Hosang way. Joshua Hosang is going to be that way. Uh, well, unfortunately, I think Hosang's already been ruined based on, on just expectations people placed around him and the fact that they've tried to make him. Everyone waits for someone like, oh, he, he needs he needs to conform. Like People talk about conformity, really, with, with hockey players, and if a player doesn't conform, they say he's never going to make it in the NHL. He will if he changes his attitude. I'm like, well, the only thing wrong with his attitude is that it's not the attitude you expect from him. I mean, that's, I mean, that's what's happened to him in, in Long Island. Do you think that they're saying this happens a lot with baseball players too? Because baseball players, when you're a lot of them, don't go to college. Uh, more and more, college baseball is becoming more of a viable option. But by the time the guys get to the get to the major leagues, they've went through three levels of minor league ball. They're, th- they're through all these guys of telling them you have to do th- you have to conform to this. You have to be you have to do things this way. Like Bull Durham, I'm pretty sure a lot of that's actually accurate. Um, and with hockey, it's got to be the same way because these guys, I mean. Typically, hockey players are playing from the time they're five and six years old, and a lot of these guys are generational players. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's why I think there's been uh, why there was so, there's this large patch, and it's it's sort of returning a little bit, but we, we're kind of fluctuating with, with Russian players. Is that you know they grew up a lot of them one they're influenced by the Russian hockey players are also influenced by the the Russian soccer leagues where in soccer in general the celebrations are much more exuberant mm-hmm. um, but you know it's it's a youth movement that's coming out of like the Cold War era who's got a lot more energy they've got a lot of passion and and on the ice is a place they can really show that off where they may not be able to 
uh, otherwise, and then they're celebrated as sort of national heroes. And so they come into the NHL, and they're these exuberant, passionate, very youthful, not the humble, quiet, I'm a nice Canadian boy, or I'm a nice college kid, or what have you, and then people just don't accept them for that. And then it causes problems like, oh, it's the, they're enigmatic. No, they're just excited to play hockey. <laughs> like, you remember watching... Um it was the NHL 24-7 with the Rangers and the Flyers, and Artem Anisimov shot like he was a sniper and got, yeah, a, fi- got yeah, like a, that, game, like a five-minute mis- or ten-minute misconduct for that. Yeah. that. The, what I remember most about that is during uh, – so they cut back to the locker room after everything happened. And everyone's happened. laughing. Yeah, Sean Avery just shoots him like this shit-eating grin, like, I am so happy you did that. <laughs> just like he, – like, he knew, I know what you did, and I congratulate you, sir. Uh, two years ago, uh, we're going to – uh, draw some parallels here between Philip Forsberg and Kevin Fiala, even though Philip Forsberg is like the portrait of a stoic, you know, calm. Swedish. He's Swedish. I mean, he celebrates that. He, he scores his first hat trick. He just raises his eyebrows to Kirk Smith like, yeah, I did that. Yeah, yeah, He's Swedish. Yeah. Uh, Understated. The most, yeah. the most emotion we've got of him was the angry James Neal style fist pump with no mouth emotion. Just That was fantastic. The helmet just goes, kun, 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 kun. Yeah. <laughs> Not quite dark helmet level, but yeah. <laughs> um, Philip Forsberg's two years uh, is two years older than Kevin Fiala. Uh, Philip Forsberg in Milwaukee, twenty thirteen to fourteen, uh, which he missed time with with a upper body injury and also with World Juniors. Forty seven games, fifteen and nineteen with thirty four points. Uh, so far, uh, Kevin Fiala, forty six games, ten goals, nineteen assists. So not too far off the trajectory. Um, I do believe that the talent that Kevin Fiala is playing with in Milwaukee is going to be better than what Philip Forsberg was playing with at the time. But Kevin Fiala does not have to be Philip Forsberg to be successful. He's a he's a smaller guy. He has a completely different game, and it's going to take him a while to get used to North American style. That said, uh, I'm not willing to give up on Fiala just yet either. So no, and I think it would be a shame if the. Uh, unless they get an incredible return back, I think it would be a shame for the organization to do that. And I honestly, I don't think that that's really on their radar. What about someone, let's say, for like a now Yakupov? I think that that still brings up just as many questions as it did before. Just um, removing the timetable up. Yeah, and I think that Yakupov is, you know, getting a, a, a bum rap and a, a, and a bad deal in Edmonton just because of um, how that team is run. I think that he would be uh, a fine, fine player there, but that. You know, there's still a lot of question marks there with how if he's going to be able to sustain production. I would, I would uh, select Fiala over Yakupov at this point. If you can get Yakupov on a steal, I mean, because apparently Chiarelli wants to move the guy and he was going to take a loss on it. Do it. He hasn't shown a ton. No. Musa Monster writes in: Are we on a hot streak, or is Rene finally back on track and the team is just gelling at the right time? I think there's some truth to both sides of that. Yes. The answer is yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think the. The only thing answer is yes, because I think uh, he, he kind of answered his own question in a, in a way. Here's what I noticed uh, yesterday is when Mike Fisher dangles around <laughs> Vladimir Tarasenko, you know that they are feeling it in a groove. I, I really think that it was the, it was the yarn curve goal. This was like a switch that came on that, hey, guys, let's have fun playing hockey again. And, yeah, when Mike Fisher's dangling around, you know, the commissar of Danglesburg, it's you know, kind of special. Uh, High Plains Predator writes in with Phil's recent scoring streak. He's on pace with for 34 to 34 goals this year. Considering the last year he had 26, what are your expectations for him? And should we expect 30 goals for him and hope for 35-ish? Or could he be a 40-goal uh, guy a year or something else? Also, 
what shipping method would be necessary to deliver all the money he's going to make? Semi-truck, boat, barge, aircraft carrier. Uh, he left off uh, like the Chinook uh, like transport helicopter. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty cool. I think most people use direct deposit, so I don't yeah. think that's too big of a concern. No, that's not if not, he can just ask what Weber had his ransom delivered in, probably a Comcast service van. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm pretty partial to like a Brinks truck. That was good, too. It took a second. Uh, it didn't even take a second. That was just great. Uh, <laughs> what was the first half of the question? I was too busy being clever. Uh, um, uh, he's asking about... Um, so, Forsberg right now is on pace oh, for yeah, shade over 30 goals. Like, as far as what is his... Do we need to recalibrate like what his ceiling is? 40 is too many. Um, unless something changes with, with goaltenders, 40 is too many. Uh, I mean, the best guys in the league are, are the absolute best shooters in the league are going to score 40. Ovechkin will score however many he feels like scoring on any given day. Yeah, I mean, he's the only person on, on pace to score 50 this year. Yeah, and that's just the modern NHL. Um, if he can score... Ovechkin, Stamkos, and everybody else. Yeah, if, if, yeah. He, if, if Forsberg can score 30 goals every single year, and that's his, that's his, that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. That would be so great. If he could please take Jason Arndt's record, I would be so relieved and happy for, for all eternity. He's um, only got nine thir- more goals to do that. Yeah, thirty. Yeah, uh, Arnett, of course, thirty-three is the Predators' record for most goals in a season. So I'd love anybody to break that. Um, but no, I, I think I think expecting to be a thirty-goal guy is where I want him to be. Um, I mean, I ex- I kind of expect the same out of James Neal, though. I think given the shift in in, in decrease in goal scoring, James Neal hitting thirty is sort of his reach at this point. That's fine, because James Neal gives you so much on the defensive side as well that we didn't even expect as Predators fans when this trade was made. Right, and he's also not on nearly as good a power play as the Pittsburgh Penguins were, you know, four years ago. Yeah. Um, But I I honestly would be shocked if uh, Forsberg didn't hit 30 um, this year, barring like an injury or something like that. Um, And he's got 19 games left to score nine nine goals to to beat that record. So that's going to be something we're going to be on watch for. Um, But I would say if he can do 30-35 a season, that's perfect. And I think he's well in his capability of doing so. Yeah, I'm good with that. Yeah, there's a little bit of news here with um, apparently uh, David Poyle had some goodness in the Tennessean saying that essentially this team is good enough to win as is. A bit of luck, yeah, I think so. Yeah, of course every manager Uh, has to have a future. Here's the money line here. I believe our team is constructed in a way that we should be good for the foreseeable future. See, that that makes sense. I mean, you're, you're not saying this is better than this is our year. You know, I I, no. I buy that you more. Know, I do agree. And I, I unfortunately, I'd have to I'd have to pull up, try. Wait, I actually might be able to pull up his name on Twitter because I had a great conversation. Uh, I saw that this I was morning gonna... with a listener. and I'm trying to flip through to, to get to him because uh, John, Johnny Gonzo is, is the name yeah. on there. Um, really talking about, he, he actually asked me about the window, what the Predators window is. And, you know, I, a lot of people assign that window to the longevity of Rene and longevity of Weber. And, you know, I, I think that's a, that's a misperception, not because either are bad players, but I think Weber is going to be a viable defenseman who can handle a couple of, a lot of different situations for a, a long time still. I Just think not got, number one. Yeah, he may decline from number one down to the same, or something like that, but he's going to be viable for some time. Mm-hmm. And I think the goaltending pipeline in Milwaukee is strong enough where I'm not too worried about Rene stepping back or moving on or doing whatever Rene wants to do. So I'm not really worried about that. And so I, I, I don't think... So I think Poyle's statement is really accurate because the way it's structured, 
they're just going to get better as as contracts fall off. You know, if, if Sissons is your fourth line center, you have like what I would almost call an elite fourth line center. He's gonna he's he's not gonna really do much beyond. I, I don't think you could you may put him on third line, but that's kind of a stretch. Let him yeah. Like I, I think he's line, better on the fourth. Fourth line, he is going to do really really well. He's gonna do, it's gonna be a fourth line that coaches would love to have because you could throw yeah. him out there. You don't have to protect and, him, and it's gonna be cheap. And then you've got we talked a little bit earlier about those six centers who could be anywhere from third to first line centers depending on how the chips fall. You know, and a lot of them are going to not be NHL players, and that's fine you because you've hit got on one six of them. of them, and there's a decent chance that one of them is going to turn out. So I, I think from if that's the perspective that Poyle is taking, I think he's absolutely right. Yeah, and we've mentioned this plenty of times, but, uh, you know, Ryan Johansson opened that window much more than what it was before. I mean, he's 23 years old. Um, you know, assuming that they sign him, and I don't have any reasoning why they wouldn't, um, given what he's done and given how much it's, he seems to love it here. Uh, I mean, he will be in his prime for the next five years, six years of hockey. Um, he'll be in, se- by, in seven years now. He'll be 30. Yeah. Yeah, that's insane. And he's a big guy. I mean, it's not like he's relying on, it's not like he's relying on his skating ability to be able to, I mean, he skates fine, but your size doesn't go away. Mm-mm. Your strength is the last thing to go away. So as long as he can, he can kind of develop more some of that Joe Thornton style of just being able to, which a lot of that comes with chemistry because Joe Thornton's played with those guys forever. And that's why the Sharks locker room always seems so terribly tight because they they know each other so well. It's like watching a really good crew at a restaurant work where everyone knows exactly where they're going to be. They also have that. They just leave that arena and they have that gorgeous weather. It's not fair. Yeah, they just go yeah. up to, and they go over to Napa, you know, and it's it's wonderful. I'd want to play in San Jose if I were a pro. Yeah. So given the fact that, you know, James Neal is as far as like the core uh, forwards is the oldest person there, uh, I think that they have um, an opportunity in two or three years to be a better hockey team then than they are even right now because you've got – Nystrom and Gostad and Fisher and all those people taking up these spots. Um, so if we get Mike Fisher that we got against Chicago more often, that's cool. But yeah, I mean, he, he, I mean, we're not really going to get that a few nights a year. Exactly, and I mean, at this point, if uh, you know fourth line Mike Fisher would, that's, would I'm be fine. all for that. Uh, which then might go, even though I might disagree a little bit. That so if you had Mike Fisher on the fourth line next year and then maybe Colton Sissons on the third line, who knows? Who knows? Or swap them back and forth. Yeah, exactly. I, I like Colton Sissons better on the fourth line because I think he brings a lot more to that than he would on the third line. But you have options there. I mean, it makes no sense. I mean, it makes perfect sense since, since uh, Johansson's been brought in that Mike Fisher's game's actually gotten better. Uh, last question from the comments section. This is a fun one. Uh, B. Farish 05 writes in, Commissioner for a day, if you could change one thing about the NHL trade deadline, such as timing, cap rules, etc., what would it be? I would ban Twitter for a week. Ooh, I've got actually a little bit of advice on this, and I'm much happier now that I've done it. I actually just set, I've set my mobile phone to where I have alerts every time that uh, Elliot Friedman or Darren Drager tweet something, and I don't even scan it anymore. I would ban hockey fans for a week. That may be harder to do, mm. but I like. I, I dream like your big. Style. I dream very big. Yeah. Um. You got people whining about the uh, about the Blackhawks trying to be trying to circumvent the cap, which then there's the whole conspiracy with Kane last year and this year with Hosa, which Hosa's not yet on LTIR, mm-hmm. but I'm it's probably. Gonna I happen. think they've got like 
ten thousand dollars of cap space right now with the trade with all the trades that they made recently. Uh, I mean, the Kings are probably going to be doing the same thing this year with uh, Marion Gabrick on. Uh, well, I don't if the I mean the, the Blues should be able to do that too. With now that Steen's hurt, and now you've got. Well, the problem is, is that you. It, it, I mean, it just depends on the timetable because you can't. You, you there's no roster. Um, limit after the trade deadline but there is salary cap so if their players are going to come back like if you know certain guys aren't going to be out for like the remainder of the season then you're going to have to make moves in order to bring them back or somehow find a way to stretch out them being injured which i guess could be hard to do i don't don't know yeah it it seems you know very difficult to do i I personally would get rid of the um i would lessen the effect that lt that long-term injury reserve has on the salary cap like you, maybe it's only fifty percent instead of the hundred percent cap relief, because that just comes down to just building a, a building a good roster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I think maybe they they need to not they don't need to limit that part, but maybe they need to revisit about how you qualify for a player for long term injury, uh, because I mean that's obviously there to protect teams and players. Uh, and so if it, if the benefit goes down, then players may be put in a bad position. Teams are going to, you know, if they have a guy who legitimately gets serious, I mean, look at like Pecorine, where he had to go in long-term injury. He was seriously, seriously injured sick. If they only got half cap relief and assuming, I mean, assuming they were ne- anywhere near the cap, I mean, that would be it. That could be a nightmare for them trying to make their season work and trying to be successful. But the 100% means they can do what they need to, to, needs to be done. So I think it might be how... Uh, qualification up for long-term injury and how the management side of it works, I think that might need to be reviewed. Well, the good news is in six years when we have the next lockout, maybe that they can do yeah, that. They can spend a whole oh. month on it alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a month of a Toronto conference room. That'll be fun. Cool. Uh, great work, comment section. You've definitely redeemed yourself. Excellent work. All right, so just touch on the trade deadline pieces so far. Uh, Rangers traded two second-round picks for Eric Stahl because they've already traded their first-round pick. Uh, they also traded their best prospect to Carolina as well. Carolina in return Read, uh, Reading 50%. the um, uh, Rangers blog, I do not think he's their best prospect. I think he's pretty close up there, though, because they seemed okay with like losing him because he wasn't one of these two players. Does that make sense? It would, it would be like trading... Um, I don't know, like Trennan or something like that, as opposed to like Fiala or VC. Okay. I, mean, uh, I read it elsewhere. It was top prospect, which, you know. He, I mean, he's one of their top prospects, but I, from the, this is just a sense that I got from Rangers fans, like reading their comments Rangers and everything. Rangers fans like are that. used to this at this point. Yeah, it's, it's, he, he wasn't like they're like, the, he's like, okay, they didn't touch so and so, so we're okay with it. We don't like it, but we're okay with it. I can't help but think, but the Rangers are like, hey, we have a stall. They have a stall. We need another stall. Then we'll have brothers, and you know how important getting brothers is in hockey. Teams will go out of their way to get brothers, even if it destroys the chemistry of the team, say the National Predators, when they got Andre Kostitsin. I mean, I don't know why teams are obsessed with this, but they will get brothers whenever they can. Nepotism. And, I mean, Eric Stahl has not had a good season. He He had a brief spike in performance, but he has since returned to form, being bad. I don't know why you trade for him and why you give up... So the reason that they do that is because on paper, if you look at it and you see the names, you've got Derek Broussard's, uh, uh Derek Stepan is, you know, they're one, two, they can switch that. And then you've got Eric Stahl. So on paper, that's some good center depth right there. 
problem is that it's not Eric Stahl from five yeah, years ago. I, I could get a group, I could get a piece of paper and write like Crosby, Malkin, and like Eric Lindros, and it doesn't mean it's going to be it's great. I, I agree with you. I mean, I can do that all I want. It's just. I think Eric Stahl's going to end up being the winker that's on the line with uh, Stepan and Nash or Broussard and Nash. I, I think Nash is injured right now, isn't he? Na- yeah, well, eventually. Nash eventually, yeah. Oh, ultimately, I'm just glad that a team I care about did not pick him up, and especially a team that I don't like picked him up. That's even better. Yeah. So, yeah, but, oh, did we mention 50% retained? Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay. Just couldn't remember. Yeah. So, and the 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 thing there is, I mean, obviously the line mates that he's going to be playing with are better than what he's been playing with in Carolina so there is a little bit I mean he is only 30 years old there is a spot where and a chance where he can play much better than he's been in Carolina so far this year Um, but we'll see how it goes I mean we can crap on the Rangers all I want and Lord knows I love doing it it's my turn next okay Uh, but the, uh, the fact of the matter is I mean they do have success in the playoffs just about every year yeah I mean they have success in the playoffs the back of Heimer Lundquist Yes, yeah. and that's what and it, that's what they're doing. That's what it boils down to. I think that the Rangers every year they don't go out and, and make very proactive trades in the sense they don't go out and well, look at what they gave up to get Keith Yandel. And they, if they if that trade never happened, they could turn around and maybe offer that exact same trade to Edmonton for Ryan Nugent Hopkins, or close to it. Or maybe not exactly, but close to it. They gave up uh, what Anthony Duclair and draft picks for at a first round, I believe. Yeah, which New York Rangers first round pick is not going to be, you know quite what Edmonton's looking for but you know let's say that instead of um instead of going after stall they could have used a hybrid of those two packages together and get Ryan Nugent Hopkins that would have been much better than just patching up what they already have and I mean because the problem with the Rangers is they've traded with their first round pick for several years now so the moment that Lundquist goes away it's over like you're going to have to do a complete just tear down rebuild they have a lot of good you know b-plus players like your Criders Hayes Guys that are really good, they can play anywhere in the league, but they're not going to carry a team. No, and you also have, um, I mean, other than uh, Ryan McDonough, their defense is a little bit suspect because they're icing Dan Girardi so much. And Dan Girardi was a was a Norris candidate before everyone started running reports. You know, I mean, Dan Girardi was a... And he still signed for so long, had so much money. I love it. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. The the Rangers every year, I think they just wait to get to this point in the season to make sure their team is legitimate, and then they go out and get one or two more pieces. When was the last time I I don't I can't remember the last time I actually thought that they were legitimate. Uh, well, I mean, I, well, I, they went to the conference final last year. They the went to the Stanley Cup final. You, you, you take you take Lundqvist out. And it's like, mm. I did not think they were going to beat the Lightning that year. I didn't think anybody from the East was going to beat the Kings or the Blackhawks uh, that year in the playoffs. No. Um, I mean, I, it sounds very petty for someone in my position that has never seen a team make it out of the second round. I've never seen my team make it out of the second round. But at the same time, there's no, like what Link's saying, that that Henrik Lundqvist drags this team kicking and screaming it's because he does pass the second and, round every year. And we've also, as I like to cite, we've also all seen an Edmonton Oilers, Carolina Hurricanes Stanley Cup final. One of those teams got a Stanley Cup in in recent history, and they're they were not good. You don't have to be good to win a cup. Is the funny thing? It helps, but you don't have to be good. Well, especially because, I mean, it's it's the East. Right, because you've got right now in the East, you've got Washington, and then you've got probably Tampa, Florida, uh, New York, maybe, and then everybody else. So, 
I mean, all they need to do is get Henrik Lundqvist to be, uh, you know, play out of his mind, not even out of his mind, just up to his talent level for uh, a series against the Capitals. I could absolutely win a game or win a series against the Capitals. I mean, that's something that I legitimately think could very much happen. But as far as beating Chicago, L.A., Anaheim, anything like that. It's a whole different brand of mm -hmm. hockey anymore. Uh, the Panthers, speaking of, uh, traded some non-first-round picks to acquire Yuri Hoodler, Teddy Purcell, and Jakob Kendall. I don't hate okay. this because, if nothing else, this gives the Panthers a solid third line to, to wrap around Nick Bukestad. Well, I think wrap around is the exact right phrase. I mean, they're just padding their quality players with, with guys who can just take a beating instead of them. Yeah. I mean, most these guys, these, they just got a bunch of guys who are fine. I mean, Kendall is less is fine as well. He they're cleared waivers fine. this year, didn't he? Well, it, yeah. was about, it was a salary thing. Hmm. You don't um, want to pay your. You don't pay Kendall four million. You want to pay him three. Right. Yeah. It's just. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's a bunch of moves by a team that knows they have to make moves if they want to compete, but probably behind closed doors knows they're not as good as as they appear to be in the standings. But um, as long as they make it in the playoffs, if they win a round, the, if the Florida Panthers win a playoff round, that is a huge deal in that city and that market. Hey, well, even if they just make the playoffs, I mean, which it looks like they're going to do. I mean, this point last year didn't look like they were a playoff team. Yeah, they're making the playoffs this yeah, year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they probably are because I mean it, they're just taking advantage. I mean, one they've got seventy eight points, which is insane. Yeah, they, um, they've got a legitimate NHL yeah. lineup that's going to get better as long as Yager doesn't disappear next but, year. But and they've a, got good goaltending. But such a strange thing because they're, they're definitely not as good as Tampa. They're definitely not as good as Washington. No. Um, but again, it only it only helps to be good to win a Stanley Cup. You but don't have to be a good team. The Tampa team that uh, that made the conference finals the year the Bruins won the Cup, twenty eleven. That team, in every single playoff round, I did not think they were the better team. In no, and they swept round. Washington. They swept Washington. They beat a Pittsburgh team that they got a little bit of injury luck with, and they pushed Boston. That was a hell of a game seven. That, and do you remember who was playing goal for that team? Dwayne Rollison. Yeah. Like, uh, that was, wasn't that in his last season? Or his uh, second to last season? Second to last season. But, yeah, that they pushed Boston to seven games, and then Over, Boston yeah, eventually it was won the It was one nothing game seven that was just a magnificent hockey game. Um. You listen to me gush about a game five years ago. Uh, Chicago, Chicago. speaking of five years ago, stuff that was really cool, uh, actually closer to six, uh, Chicago goes out and gets Andrew Ladd and ends up uh, spending part of their bounty they got for Brandon Saad, uh, which was Marco Dano. Um, they also get back, get in uh, Thomas Fleischman and Dale Weiss, the Dutch Gretzky, for spare parts, Philip Dano, and another draft pick. I miss Dano and Dano. They were my favorites. Yeah, that, that was a missed opportunity for oh, the marketing department man. there. Hmm. Uh, uh, I mean, got to give them credit. They at least know. Do they? Does Chicago know something about the salary cap next year that we don't know? Because that's kind of seems strange for a team that already seemed a little bit on the on the thin side as far as depth goes, where they've got guys like Panarin that they're banking off of entry level contracts or. Do they know something that we don't know? I see you make a face looking at their general manager page. Well, I mean, uh, first of all, they know that they're not going to re-sign Andrew Ladd. He is purely as rental as you get because he's gonna. Uh, he's asking for what seven, eight million dollars this season. Hell no. Yeah, um, they they know for a fact that they're not going to re-sign him. So you know, they get some salary retained. They had some cap space in order to bring him on, and they do that. Um, and. Weiss and Fleischman, and uh, they also, uh, you missed that they uh, picked up, uh, or they traded for Christian Erhoff, too. Yeah, they traded uh, Scuderi for Erhoff. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, 
Sorry, I forgot about that. It's really funny. It's rearranging no, it is furniture. Really, yeah, it, seriously, because we, we talked about it in the comments section. It's a player that was uh, <laughs> used to be good with Pittsburgh, uh, was waived earlier, then spent a bunch of time uh, being injured, has been terrible this year for a player that used to be really good with Pittsburgh, was waived earlier, uh, it used to be terrible, and has been bad this year. It literally is like going to Goodwill with your own busted furniture and leaving with some other busted furniture. <laughs> so, at, Goodwill won't take busted furniture. No, they, they they won't. That's that's a terrible analogy. So yeah, I mean you know that they're just banking up for another cap run or a cup run because they ha they do legit have an opportunity to win their fourth cup in seven years. Uh is all of these pieces going in and mixing up the room and all this other stuff gonna help? Who knows? You know what it is like? It's like if your fire detector is beeping because the battery is low, so you just swap batteries between two of your fire detectors and just say, that'll work. That's what it's like. I'm just looking at their uh, their general manager page here real quick. Um, it really is a, a very bizarre, very, very top-heavy. Like You cannot get more top-heavy than Chicago. Uh, Brent, uh, Andrew Shaw's an RFA this year, and I bring up Andrew Shaw because he is the fifth-highest-paid Chicago Blackhawk forward. Uh, fourth of you uh, going to get rid of Andrew Ladd. And he's making $2 million a year. Because after Andrew Shaw, no, none of their forwards are getting paid a million dollars a year. Now, I'm, I'm overlooking Marion Hossa right now and Marcus Kruger because they're on injured reserve and general manager of the page is kind of constructed weird. But Andrew Shaw is going to be a an, a, uh, a perfect example of the type of retooling that Chicago is going to have to do at the end of this year. Um, but I get why they do it. you got to make hay when the sun shines. You know, tip your cap and good luck. Yeah, see how it, see how it uh, pays off for them. So the Blues lose. Uh, the Alex Steen's out for a while. Your Lateras hurt just got recently hurt. Brian Elliott's out for a while as well. Um, we haven't heard the last from the Blues or the Wild in the trade deadline. I know Louis Erickson may be a possibility for them. Personally, if you had a choice, Louis Erickson going to either Minnesota or St. Louis, where would you rather see him go? Probably to Minnesota because who's going to be setting him up? Minnesota has no centers other than I mean, uh, if you ask, Tom, you ask Thomas Vanek, he's not Miko Koivu is not good enough for him. <laughs> Minnesota, I mean, it's sort of like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean that's fine. I don't think it particularly gives either team maybe what they need, but Louis Erickson's a better, much better player than Andrew Ladd. I think so. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know. All I have to really, I have to really break it down. All I, of his numbers are better. I would, I would say, I would agree with Dan. Well, but also Andrew Ladd was playing in on one of the worst teams in the NHL. The other guy was playing in the Boston Bruins. Yeah, but Louis Erickson for so long was playing with uh, with Dallas when they weren't very good, and he was still putting up good numbers. He when he was a, when the uh, skills competition, he had some of the best stick handling in the league. Mm -hmm. I miss him being an all star. I don't know. I don't really think about them very much, to be honest. Um. Not exactly trade-related, but uh, we kind of get into our rest of, our NA, rest of the NHL news here before we go into five tough questions. But did you, any of you, either of you get a chance to read uh, Michael Russo's interview with Mike Yo? Yeah. The two-parter. It was incredible. Because you, um, we made a, uh, I made last week's intro to the podcast. We were talking about two weeks ago where... Um, um, was Adam, that my, my rant on Adam Oates? Yes. And sure enough, Mike Yo cites that Adam Oates showing up at practice was like one of the, the key points of the end of the Yo tenure in Minnesota. I mean, it makes sense because you have two of your star players deferring to someone else who used to be a head coach to give them advice and 
pointers and stuff like that. And I, from what I, I mean, I don't know whether it was uh, sanctioned by the team or not. From what I understand, it wasn't. He just showed up, and that's what it was. Um, because Mike Yo said that if he could do it again, he would have said absolutely not. Do not come and uh, you know work with my players. I, I can't. Mike Yo came across as so much more likable than any other light I've ever seen the guy in before. Because mm-hmm. he usually has this one just completely crazy practice where he looks like he's emitting steam from out from underneath his baseball cap. But that Mike Yo seems like, all right, this guy seems like he's going to get another job very soon. Not just because he has NHL coach on his resume, which, you know, we all know works. If you're French-Canadian. If you're French-Canadian. I don't know. Yo could could work for French Canadian, maybe. I don't know. Title of a Power Rangers series. <laughs> that was Zio, right? It was. Yeah. Just exposed myself there. Jonathan Duran is still a bolt. Uh, the outdoor game against Colorado and Detroit. Do you you care to watch that one? No, I was, you know, I was on a date. Yeah. Uh, it didn't really, it didn't really grab me. I guess. I guess because I'm not a. I mean, you, those two fan bases cared about it, but I don't feel like the rest of the NHL cared about it as much as other stadium series games. I didn't even care about the first stadium series game. I didn't watch either of them. I oh, just saw wait, the highlight are there, package. Are, are we done with stadium series we games? We are done with stadium I, series. Yeah, I think I was vaguely where they were happening. I don't I think, I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not so much taken with novelty, and that's all those are. Yeah, they're, they're fun. I mean, it's a good excuse for people to kind of come together, and, you know, hockey media gives a chance to travel and be around each other more that's fine i'm definitely want to see if i can find a way into the winter classic next year in st louis just because you know why not it'd be fun it'd be fun mm. yeah it's, no, it's out, outdoor game we sorry then even from day like the first couple where you had like snow it's like oh this is really cool and then when you had like every other game or you had five winter classics a season and they can give them different names but they're all the same thing it's like whatever yeah, the one in California, I think, was the only one that really stuck out as well, special. They, mm-hmm. they, it's because they, they could do something. They did something different. They made it interesting. It was more about the event than the game, and not to mention they had, they, they had more stable weather, and so they could just control the conditions. That, and it had the uh, it produced the picture of uh, Gene Simmons with Gary Bettman, which it, yeah. probably is one of the best pictures on the planet. That kiss was there. That's great. And you had the USC marching band playing the Fleetwood Mac song, Tusk, which mm-hmm. is, you know, like one of their trademarks. Yeah. They actually did the music video... Way back when they actually did it with Fleetwood Mac, it's kind of cool. The more you know. All right. Well, we touched on trade deadline, touched on team news. Anything else before we get into five tough questions? No, five tough questions. Bring them on. You no, know, God, I got to get some more Adam Oates hate again. If I can do it every podcast and set in golden. Yeah, we have to. We have to have an expanded or updated bingo card. Mario, I need to. I still have your shirt, by the way. We gave her her shirt last year. And this, oh. This is how bad. We were sitting at bar lines. Doesn't uh, she write for you? Yeah. We were sitting at bar lines, and the, the shirt is actually in this here bag. And the bag was sitting on the table, and Maria is sitting at the table, and I forget to give her her shirt out of the bag. Man. Five feet away. Five tough questions uh, brought to you, as always, by a dynamic sponsor opportunity right here. Number one. Who is most responsible among the uh, members of the second line for bringing the second line to life? As in, who is responsible for the surgeons of the second line? Most responsible. Do you want to go with Craig Smith, Ryan Johansson, Philip Forsberg, Mike Ribeiro? Uh, a lot of options there. I could think you would probably say Philip Forsberg first just because he's shooting the puck and shooting it pretty accurately. Um, then you could probably have some tears. Um 
below that saying like, okay, you know, Craig Smith is, you know, helping on the rush to give Forsberg some chances. And uh, Ryan Johansson is taking more, uh, uh, more uh, harder competition. So he's opening up that second line for them. Uh, but I think Forsberg shooting the puck a lot more accurately recently has helped a lot. Yeah, I, I think ultimately the right answer is that when you have a line, it's about chemistry as a line. And so trying to call out the catalyst person uh, tends to be reserved for like the top tier talent. So the, I think the question almost becomes, you know, is is Forsberg such a talent that he can ex- he can elevate the people around him or is it line chemistry? And so in that spirit, I think John gave a fantastic answer. I actually stuck with uh, Craig Smith on this because I have never once seen Philip Forsberg's effort drop as far as trying to get the puck on that. It's just not, a lot of his shots feel like they were being blocked, but they were being blocked last year. Having Craig Smith is kind of more of a drive than that, and at least drawing more attention just by working ridiculously hard, uh, I think it's giving up, uh, giving Forsberg more space to work with. I don't know. It's kind of, but there is no real wrong answer there. Number two, and this is for all NHL teams, what is the worst trade deadline move that you can remember? Worst trade deadline move. I'm exempt from the Forsberg for ERAT trade. Yes, you're exempt. Just for, just for right now. Worst f- trade move that I can remember. Uh, I mean, I absolutely. But the, like something like Duclair for Yandel was pretty was pretty stupid. <laughs> I mean, just looking. Yeah, back. that's pretty bad. I mean, it, yeah, I, people. I, I I don't really have a fantastic answer because my memory for these things is so bad. Um. Because, you know, any time that you're really... It, it's so rarely... I've talked about this before on the podcast. You know, so rarely does acquiring a top-line player at the deadline really, like, increase the, the, the ability of your team to, to win a cup. Uh, I think there, there's... You know, the Kings, when they picked up... Um, Jeff Carter. Well, the Jeff Carter one. But before that, there's a guy who's injured right now whose name... Marion Gabrick. Marion Gabrick. Thank you. Jeez. Like, like, I knew it was like he wasn't learning... Like, yeah, like, there's times when it works out really well, but typically, I don't think I'm not usually impressed by it. Most of those moves are a little bit more methodical. They happen before the trade deadline. The trade deadline is when you get things like first round picks flying out the door for guys who aren't that good, like Paul Gostad. Yeah, and I think that's what it should be used for. And no one will fault you for not remembering that because there are just so many times that the Kings have ripped off the Blue Jackets oh. to go win a cup. <laughs> uh, my as as. as Everyone knows my my n- memory for names is not the best. So. Uh, I got I got you. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll pick it up. Uh, I can actually uh, one just popped in my head is when the Blues traded for Ryan Miller. Oh, that was oh, that was that was really bad. Yeah, that was so bad. Uh, uh, honorable mention when Dallas Stars uh, right before the deadline traded James Neal and Matt Niskanen for <laughs> Alex Goligoski. That was a trade deadline one. It was uh, done at February twenty second, two thousand eleven. Okay, for some reason my mind keeps t- telling me that that was a summer deal, but nope. I, I remember when that when that happened, and it was just like even then you're like because Alex Goligoski was a better player than he is right now, but you're like for Matt Niskanen and James Neal. Well, remember two thousand nine is when the the Penguins won their Stanley Cup, mm-hmm. so Goligoski's stock was still pretty high at that point. Still, that, that history has shown that one to be pretty god-awful. Number three, what is the worst case currently of a team that should be selling that isn't selling? For instance, uh, I think Vancouver's a candidate for that because Vancouver should be selling. And yeah, Well, I think uh, yeah, Vancouver's an obvious one. We um, might see that tomorrow, though, because I don't think Verdeem Verbata is going to be on the team after Dan tomorrow. Hamuse, Dan Hamuse, yeah. E- even the a lot Flames of have been shown to be hesitant to, to be sellers. They... Um, yeah, they. I mean, with Aginla, absolutely. They should have traded him like three seasons before they actually did. Um, 
you might say Montreal, but I think that there's a hope that they can kind of, they've got some pieces there to be better next year. Um, Edmonton is someone that needs to get rid of uh, oodles of players because they're not working there right now. And they got to create space for these younger guys too. Like, uh, for instance, you can throw in a guy like an Anton Lander who's got some upside to him, but maybe you put together a hockey trade and just at least address some of your depth because there's no way in unless Anton Lander starts taking the Ray Lewis deer antler spray or something that he's going to crack that lineup with the amount of young talent that they have at center and on the wing. It's not going to happen. So that's a good one. Yeah, and all the other ones, I'm just kind of glancing at the uh, standings right now. Um, New Jersey, I think, is still, they don't need to send stuff out as much as they just need to wait because their prospect pipeline is bad. Uh, Ottawa, same thing. Carolina's set with their draft picks for a while, so they don't, I mean, they already sold out uh, Eric Stahl, so they did what they needed to do. I'd like um, to see the Flyers get a little bit more involved in selling off some pieces. I mm-hmm. mean, there's been uh, there's been talk about uh, Raffle being, being uh, traded, but... Mm. Uh, I mean, I just I I think they'd be better off stocking up. They're not quite there yet as a playoff team. I think if they were smart, they could be they could accelerate that by playing very conservative. And, I mean, piss off the fan base. Yeah, but, I, you know, I agree. It's not hard. It's a Philly fan base. Yeah. <laughs> Number four, uh, is there a worse ran team given the resources that they have? Is there a worse ran NHL team than the New York Rangers? I was gonna, I, I was whatever you were gonna say. I was gonna be like, I think the Rangers are probably worse, but you say <laughs> the Rangers. So... <laughs> Given the resources, I really can't think of anything uh, that's worse. Than I mean, historically, like I, I would say that. Uh, I mean, there's some there's some badly run teams right now. I I think Vancouver is being run horrendously for for many many years. I think um, the Flames are trying to do the right thing, but for some reason they they just can't seem to let themselves do the right thing. They keep believing like. They still believe in Santa Claus, and they're going to work real hard, and they're going to be great managers, and leaders, but they're still going to believe in Santa Claus, and that's not going to help them. Um, so, but I think it's a, it's probably a toss-up between the Rangers and the Canucks. I mean, the Canucks almost strike me as as Rangers West. Sorry, it took me a second there. Yeah, I, I don't really have anything to add to that other than saying, like, you may might want to give some honorable mention to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, Ooh, yeah, that's a, that's a B-side that's... Yeah, yeah, because I mean, you, I think that they they panicked a little bit uh, this year because there was no way that te- that team was as bad as it started out, and I think that we all said that they would be, if not a playoff team, close to a playoff team for and take a take a couple of steps forward. And then now, I mean, they they brought in John Tortorella, they they shipped off Ryan Johansson, they've got all these contracts that are going to come to bite them in the ass a little bit down the line. Um, but yeah, I don't. I don't think that you can say any teams worse than the Canucks or the Rangers because if, uh, as much as success as the Rangers have had going to you know the conference finals or the Stanley Cup final or you know winning more than a couple of playoff rounds in the last you know seven, eight, nine years, if they do not get a cup within this year, next year, they are going to be one of the worst teams in the NHL pretty soon. Because they don't have a pipeline, and all of their once Lundqvist is out, they're they're done. And for a team that's taken advantage of um, of some injured goalies on the other side, you know, hi Chris Kreider, you you have to. I mean, I don't wish any harm at all on Henrik Lundqvist, who's one of the great gentlemen of the game, and one of the great human beings of the game, and he's too damn handsome to see him in pain. But you you have to wonder if one of these times that Henrik does get hurt, what happens to that team? 
I mean, he's been hurt before, and Talbot was there to kind of carry the water, but they don't even have that guy like Talbot anymore. Auntie Ranta is the backup. Marty Viron comes out of retirement and tries to save the day. Uh, Magnus Helbert got some love earlier in the season. Yeah, he got love. He got a lot of rubber past him. Yeah, though. he got lit up. <laughs> I wouldn't call that love. Number five, and this is a good old hypothetical, or not really hypothetical. This is kind of one of those mentality questions for you guys. Did this week change your mind on the 2015-2016 Nashville Predators? No. No. Go on. Got some synergy there. Yeah. Do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first? Uh, I I think uh, you know I'd like to think that I I you know made it pretty clear with my apprehensions early on. Um, I I think that they had a, a lot of things go their way this week. I think the team's performance are probably more in line with what we saw uh, with Toronto and Montreal than with the Blackhawks and the Blues. Uh, and and that I find concerning. They have to put together a consistent effort, like John was describing, like not this just just a hot streak where they're getting insane goaltending. I mean, they gave up what just maybe five goals in four games or something like that. I mean, it was very very low. They did not give up a lot of goals over the course of the four games. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know they're shooting huge. Their shooting percentage is like massive. You know, I I want to see sustained effort, uh, like John was describing, where they're they're hitting a bunch of games and losing one or two. You know, they're, they're just regularly performing. Um, and not to mention, there's less than 20... There's, what, 20 games in the season? I think less than 20 games. 19, 19 games in yeah. the season. Yeah, I looked at it you know, an hour ago and I already forgot. 19 games in the season. If if the team suddenly has found their themselves in in the back 20 game, twenty plus games, then in the first, you know, 60 games, so be it. But, you know, the history of this season does not suggest that... that this is like gonna blow my mind and it's gonna be something brand new yeah and that's pretty much exactly what i was gonna say um and i mentioned early in the week that these this week was a very important week for the predators um to kind of show that they are are to be taken seriously um they had an okay showing against montreal they won against toronto which you know no one's gonna pat them on the back for that didn't have a great game against Chicago, but still won, which, you know, congrats. That's what you need to do at this juncture. And then had a pretty good game against the Blues. So they did pick up the wins, but just the way that they played is still, well, I still want to see a little bit more. And then, But with 19 games left, I mean, that that's still not a, not a great space to, to be in um, when they do that. So I, I firmly believe that they're going to make the playoffs. I firmly believe that they're going to be in that first wild card spot and get into the Pacific Division. Um, I am still not convinced that they are uh, going to win a playoff round. I could see them absolutely winning a playoff round, um, but as far as getting out in the second round, I have a really hard time, from what I've seen over the course of this entire season, believing that that's going to be the case. I think if they make it to the Pacific bracket or if they do get the one wild card slot, I think they have a much better chance of at least winning a round, even if it is against the Kings, just because it's something new. They don't have the emotional baggage or anything like that. Um, I think that's the best fit for him. But when I look at how this, how well this team has been playing over since February twelfth, I put up February 9th was the Washington Capitals game. They lose that one five to three. You start to see some signs of life uh, when they try to come back against the Capitals. Since then, they've gotten points in every game. And even though not every game is they're playing great, but when you go to Chicago and beat them without Weber. 
cool. When you beat St. Yeah, Louis... Yeah, but are, uh, but are they going to be doing that if they play four, five, six games in a row? Are they going to win that game more often than they're going to lose? And well, the answer is no. They'll no, no, but every game's different. And I, I mean, that's, it's, I'm not going to be apologizing for it. I mean, they... They were definitely outplayed against Chicago, no doubt. But that's why you pay Pecorino freaking seven million dollars. Sure, and and I'm not I'm not saying that that's that's wrong. And at this point in the season, absolutely, they need everything that they can get. But now, as the season is winding down, we're going to be out of the trade deadline. After the trade deadline, to me, it's okay. So you're going to start to trade play a style of game where you win four games out of seven. So that's what I'm going to be looking for over the course of the season. And I think it's still been a little bit rocky, despite the fact that they're getting points. I mean, if you play those games against those teams um, a couple of games in a row, I don't, I, don't, I don't think that the pendulum falls on their side more often than not. Yeah, you, you're saying but with, a, with a slimmer margin of error, then that's, just, that's not the right. best course of action. I got you on that. Well, looking ahead, uh, they have the Stars coming into town on Tuesday, Devils on Thursday, and a trip to Colorado for another... Afternoon two, hockey game. Two p.m. start on the uh, on the mountain in Denver. So uh, a two and one, two zero oh and one. I'm thinking two zero oh and one. That's what I was settling on earlier. Yeah, I think they keep their point streak alive. Um, just keep if it going. They make it through this week. If they make it through this week, they have a, another Western Canadian road swing, which means trips to. Uh, actually, this is all part of the after they leave Denver. They're going to Winnipeg, Calgary, Vancouver, Edmonton. That's that, and all those teams are going to be depleted hopefully after the trade deadline, and so I think that this is like a, another tough week just because of where the stars are. They're, they the stars do absolutely want to win the uh, central division. They're going to be trying to do that. You have New Jersey who isn't really in playoff contention, but they still kind of are. So they're going to be putting up a good game, and then Colorado's you know directly behind them in the standings. Colorado's desperate at this point. Yeah. I mean, that's a team that I expect to be more active on the trade deadline because it's a deeply flawed team that, frankly, could stand to make the playoffs just because they're, we all know they're not going to win anything this year, just by how they're built and the style of play that they have. That said, you know, playoff experience goes a long way with a young team. And if it costs you a, a draft pick or so, fine. You know, live with it. That's that's business. Uh, so 2-0-1, 2-1-0, I think we're all okay with that, right? Yeah, 2-0-1, 2-1-0 would be fine. Sounds good. All right. Any last thoughts before we close up the shop on this one? Hold on to your butts. <laughs> um, no, I, I think uh, it's exci- it, it is exciting, and it'll be nice to to see if they can. Because, I mean, frankly, I think the Predators have a fairly good start to March. There's a room for them to pick up a lot of points um, that may actually help them catch up to some of the guys ahead of them. There's, mm-hmm. It's a really interesting opportunity, so it'll be, nice, it'll be really good to see how it plays out. All we asked for them to be right around the time that February ended was them to be in a playoff spot, and they've definitely done that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're solidly in the playoffs right now. I don't see them. I don't see them falling out. I really don't. I mean, I, I, that's hopefully not jinx worthy right there. But uh, yeah, Minnesota. Minnesota won today. Um, so right now, as we as we're recording this, there's seven points up on Minnesota for the last spot. Who do you, who do you think the Predators are? The Blues. <laughs> You can find him on Twitter at 3D Link. You can find John on Twitter at jgarcia36. I wanted to leave on that note. That, w- that was a good one. That was a good walk-off shot. I liked it. Okay. Yeah. You're welcome. Um, real uh, last thing, uh, how many points does the top line get this week? Three. Four. Closest without going over. <laughs> three, three and a penny. In that case, he's going to win regardless. Yeah. So. <laughs>
Not if they get three points. Not if they get three points. Not if they get three points, zero, one points. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think for <laughs> for Link and John, this is Dan uh, at Dandy Bradley, and um, the website is at on the forecheck.com. We broke Dan. We fi- well, because we finally, after four years, we finally broke our ending format. After over four years and after hundreds of hours, I think we found, yeah. <laughs> that was like, really? Well, I went out of order on this. All right, guys, everyone have a good week, and uh, we'll be back here next week. Thanks, everybody, for listening.